and welcome to another episode of the Broom Boys. I'm Guy. And I am Buddy. Alright, we're gonna have some fun. Um, we're gonna be talking about the Mandalorian, but first, like we always do, we're gonna get into some news. Um, what's the first bit of news we got, buddy? Well, I mean, as far as news weeks go, this one has been pretty slow. Um so we're gonna go with a little article I read where uh, my current favorite Star Wars game to play, and hopefully yours, the Jedi Fallen Order, is anticipated to sell more than 10 million copies, which I think oh, is very, damn. very good news for everybody, because uh, that almost certainly guarantees we're going to get a quality sequel, and hopefully I'm still not holding out, I'm not giving up, I want some DLC. Please? Yeah, that's all, just some DLC. Like a like a battle arena, you know, where like you can just because the lightsaber combat's great in that game, but you only go up against a, a very limited amount of other lightsaber wielders. And I just want a place where I can go and have lightsaber battles. So if they just did an arena mode with a bunch of people, you could have lightsaber battles with. That would just be awesome. Even if it was just an AI, like you no, know, I art. only want AI. I don't want PvP. I just want let me go and fight. <sighs> vader and maul and luke and whatever and just have lightsaber duels that's all it wouldn't be hard it wouldn't i am well i mean i'm not a game builder so i don't know but yeah i mean i certainly they think have they to do have something engines. more complicated right um yeah dude uh, i'm ex- i'm stoked i love that game and number two is it's going to be fun to see how they explore and where they go with the series and the character because it's like uh, were he's at a time period that it's like where was he after say i mean did he live does he survive how long does he survive or are we going to actually watch the character die um what's going to happen it's there's it's kind of it's really it's kind of fun uh to have a new character like that um and to know what the story is going to what what it's going to be what it's going to amount to but where he fits into it or if he i mean does he even fit into it at all is he just off in some remote like nowhere you know bill like what you were saying in some secret enclave that he's built that's cut off from everything to just preserve the the jedi way of life or whatnot you know yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe he vaults himself up away somewhere and then maybe he comes out and maybe he joins up with Ray in a movie in the future. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, they could literally go anywhere with the series, but as long as they're selling copies of the games, uh, they're going to want to keep making them. So if you don't have the game and you're listening to this, press pause, go and download the game on your system of choice and come back and listen to us play it while you're listening to us but get that game it is amazing and well worth your money yeah it's 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 a it was a great great star wars game um i would put it number number three on the list of um games that i've played that i've liked obviously kotor one and two um two and one actually would be my rating oh two and one huh yeah see yeah Story in in KOTOR 1 was better, although I have to say I, I saw that twist coming a mile away. Um, you remember Scotty? You remember Buddy Scotty was in the wedding with us? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he was living with me, and we were both taking turns playing through that game. Like, he would play it while I was at work, and then I'd play it while he was at work. And I told him, I'm like, you're Revan. I told him, I said, you are playing as Revan because they haven't shown you Revan's face. They're, they're, they're being very mysterious, but, I mean, it's like, it's obvious. To me, it was obvious. So I saw the twist coming, but I still thought it was awesome. Um, but, yeah, gameplay-wise, Tour 2, I think, is... I mean, it's on the same engine, it's on the same system, everything is identical, but they give you way more ways to play in KOTOR 2. Um, so, I mean, I have a tie. 1 and 2 are are tied for me as the, as, as the best games, and then, yeah, I'll put in Fallen Order right behind that, and then uh, here's an oldie but goodie for the, for the fourth or third place game, however you want to decide it, Star Wars Galaxies. Remember oh, that? Wow. Yeah. And then after yeah, that, that one actually that was that was an interesting one because it didn't the it was an awesome amazing game but the downfall of it was the game's overall actual economy. Like yeah. Yeah, real the, world the economy, economy was horrible, yeah. And by the they by the it was crippled and then by the time they figured out how to recover it World of Warcraft basically put the finishing blow into it. Uh, but yeah, so after that would be Star Wars Rebellion, the real time galactic war simulator. Such a great I never game. played that one. Oh, dude, get, find a copy. Like, I think you can, you can find it on Steam, maybe even. Um, but get a hold of it. It's so you can play with as small of a gal, like a small, medium, or large sized galaxy. You can play as the Rebellion, or you can play as the Empire, obviously. And you start off with the, like, planets with random resources like you might have planets with shipyards you might not you know whatever and so you basically start building your fleets you start sending out ambassadors to planets to try to get them to join you um and like you go to send a fleet from one side of the galaxy to the other it takes like 20 minutes real time for your fleet to fly across the galaxy to attack that rebel base over there okay i gotta write i gotta i'm putting this one in my phone right now what is it star wars rebellion it's it's a real time simulator and then like you uh you know you attack planets you have to build resources you build fleets and you research newer types of vessels and so you can really see kind of like a lot of the expanded universe ships on both sides come to life um and then like when you have a space battle it's like a it's like a 3d uh space that you actually fly around in and you can have individual command of your fighter squadrons and send them out to do whatever and then if you're the empire you can build the death star but then if you use the death star like you'll actually end up making systems rebel against you because it's so horrible. So it's got, it's a political system. It's a military system. It's an economic system. It's a very big involved game. And like a playthrough on the large galaxy could take you months, could take you months. And there is even a multiplayer component. Like you could dial in back in the day with dial up. You could link up with another person and play like PVP style against them. And it would save that game. So you guys could be like, Oh, push pause on that come back to it later oh wow yeah it was really cool wow it was that's really cool. that's cool yeah i'm gonna have to look that one up yeah check it definitely. out definitely check it out all right so fallen order 10 million keep them coming guys that's yeah that's awesome sweet okay and so um, let's see uh, what what's next what do we got next well uh so if you remember there was a movie that came out a couple years ago called star wars rogue one 
introduced a bunch of new characters with a few old ones popping up here and there. Uh, one of the main characters, one of the main two characters on the hero side, at least, because we had our main villain as well. Uh, Diego Luna played Cassie and Andor. And as we've talked about before, he is getting his own series on Disney+. Plus. Uh, no idea what it's going to be called. I'm sure they'll come up with something like Cassian, maybe. Maybe throw an exclamation point behind it. Not sure. Uh, but anyway, Diego Luna, who is the actor that played Cassian Andor, has confirmed that his show will start filming this year, which means we should be seeing it sometime next year. So before Obi-Wan. Uh, it seems that way. It seems that way for sure. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited for that because he was definitely a breakout character and definitely a standout character who, of course, died, spoiler alerts, in Rogue One along with everybody else. You know, Dirty Dozen style because that's <laughs> I call Rogue One the Dirty Dozen of the Star Wars universe. And I mean that it, in a completely positive light because Dirty Dozen is one of my favorite movies and I'm hoping to God they never remake it. But uh, if they did, then they remade it as Rogue One. And loved that movie completely. So awesome. <laughs> so awesome. Um, so yeah, we have more of Cassian to look forward to. Which is also kind of cool because, I mean, right now we got The Mandalorian, which is going on pre or post uh, uh, Re- Return of the Jedi. Um, and then Cassian Andor's show is going to be uh, pre A New Hope. Uh, for obvious um, reasons. Obvious reasons, right? I wonder how far, if they're just going to keep it in, because, like, in between, because there was a pretty good gap between um, uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. It was, like, another 30-year, wasn't it, or something uh, like that? Like, 18. 18? 18. Okay. Yeah, that's right. 18, Luke, just Luke, born. yes, 18. exactly. Luke, Duh. exactly. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how far back they'll go. With that, I mean, he, he doesn't look like he's a, a young guy, but he doesn't look like he's an old guy. So he's probably mid-30s, mid-30s to 40s. So, I mean, who knows? They could play with that for a long time. But, of course, all of that also depends on they're probably going to give themselves some leeway so they could get three, four, five, six seasons out of it or whatever. But, um, you know, a lot of that is also going to depend on how the show is received. So it's hard to say, but Absolutely. I'm sure they'll they'll give themselves some space. But then they also risk kind of maybe setting a precedent for how active the the rebellion was against the Empire pre A New Hope, because yeah, you know, like they say in A New Hope that the battle that took place that we saw in Rogue One at the end, you know, to get the Death Star plans was the first victory of the Rebel Alliance. So is this going to mm-hmm. be like uh, like an espionage type show? It's hard to say, but that would be cool. I mean, because I don't think we're going to see a whole lot. We're obviously going to see him, you know, busting caps on people. But I mean, I don't I don't see how that could be the focus of the show, uh, because it seems like the rebellion really didn't get like really, really, really going until A New Hope. Yeah, I mean, until really, yeah, Luke got involved in the whole destroyed the Death Star and. Um, that was the real first big win. Well, I mean, the, them getting the plans for the Death Star was their first really okay, big yes. win. Um, but then, yeah, New Hope was like the tide turning, although it didn't seem like it at the time. Um, it was definitely the uh, the spark that lit the fire. Right. 
Um, so it will be interesting to see because uh, I just I'm also curious to find out like we've we discussed whether or not the shows kind of plug in all those holes and so what we get is this really smooth uh, timeline that you can like start and you can watch a property and like watch a show watch it all the way through go to another show like you know you start with Clone Wars and then you go from the or even if you go before that with Force Awakens and then into the Clone Wars episodes and then uh, or after that's after number two uh, uh, what was the oh what was episode two Rise of the uh, not, not Attack Rise of, of the, the clones. clones. Attack of the Clones. God damn. So many fucking movies. Yeah, but it's um, easily forgettable, bro. It's easily right, forgettable. It's... Nobody is blaming you. <laughs> but, right. Clone Wars. So, and then you got Rise of the Clone or Attack of the Clones. And then you got the Clone Wars show. And then you got Revenge of the Sith. And then after that, I mean, if you, you're going to have an Obi-Wan show somewhere in there, if you have a, a Cassian show somewhere in there, you can really start filling in the whole timeline. I don't know if that's going to be their goal, if that's the intention. But well, I mean, I think they'll, I think they'll bridge stuff together as much as they can. My guess is we'll probably have a mall show that will maybe intersect with an Obi-Wan show. And then the Obi-Wan show might possibly intersect with Cassie and Andor. And then maybe Cassie and Andor intersects a little bit with Mara Jade and Mara Jade then intersects with the Mandalorian. And then maybe the Mandalorian will intersect with whatever future Jedi star Wars ish projects are coming down the line. So, I mean, there might be a rough little, well, you already know baby Yoda. Well, and we we do already know baby Yoda. Exactly. So, and, you know, and they also did say that Maul was going to, or the rumor is going to be, or I, I think it's confirmed, but Maul was going to be in um, Obi-Wan's show. Well, I mean, we did see Obi-Wan kill Maul in Rebels, so whether or not they retcon that is hard to say. Um, but they also said in Rebels that Luke was the chosen one because Maul said, you're protecting somebody. Is he the chosen one? And Obi-Wan was like, yeah, that was like literally the last thing Maul said was asking if Luke, who he had sensed through the force, was the chosen one. And Obi-Wan confirmed it. So but then we saw how that played out in the movies. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Right. We'll see. We'll see what's going to come down the pipe with all that. Yeah. And there there's going to be connective tissue. There has to be. I mean, because anytime you can make two properties interlink, you know, you're only doubling the awesomeness, hopefully. So And they they do definitely, I mean, looking at how they've handled because I really think with they're saying that there might be continuity issues with the whole Clone Wars uh season uh season seven. I don't think from and I think I read it somewhere, but Yeah, yeah, that's been like, out there where they, they said that uh episode or season Excuse me, season season seven is going to create some continuity issues. It well, sounded like it, minor ones, but the issues were going to be created. But I also thought I read that that it looks like there's going to be issues, but it it goes on simultaneously as the movie in parts in or parts. something like that. Okay. Um. So there, it meant like you. There, you might see something that happened in the movie or something, or you know that something happened in... So I think, or like, Order 66. 
and things like that. Oh, well, that would I be I think we're going to see – because it, I think you were going to get some intersection there. Well, we're less than a week away, so we'll start finding out. And then um, we're definitely going to have we'll some see. episodes dedicated to that, to the Clone Wars cartoon in general and season seven specifically. So uh, look forward to that. Yeah, yeah. We'll go into that a whole lot more detail. So we let's sure see. Next bit of news. Uh, is that is that uh, Tim, Timothy's on? Yeah, let's let's bring up what my favorite Star Wars author of all time had to, had to say about the current state of Star Wars projects and how he views them. Uh, he ain't um, happy. Spoiler alert. No, no, he's not. Uh, you know, and I, I think with what he said i i completely agree with what he said his his take on it well i don't and, disagree with his take i'm not sure i mean it's his opinion he's entitled to have whatever opinion um me as the care as the guy who loves the old characters you know i definitely fall in line with his viewpoint and frankly he's spent a good portion of the last oh 20 25 years writing those characters into stories so he should definitely have some strong opinions and is entitled and, to those strong opinions and should be listened to at the do you same want to, time. Do you want to – why don't we give the people – Yeah, well, tell – I'll just read his quote. Yeah, tell us what he said, man. Tell us what he said. Uh, should, do you think I should take the whole the, – the, the, the biggest part, chunk of it? Yeah, just start reading. All right. So this is Timothy Zahn um, in an inter- interview he gave. My vision – always for the sequels would be you would pick up with the children of our main characters. The original cast would be the elder statesman type and not necessarily die on camera. They'd be off doing bookkeeping like Sherlock Holmes allegedly did. You don't have to kill off a character to get them off stage. Well, there you go. Um, Yeah. Sounds like he definitely disagreed with how they handled at least Luke and Han. Um, you know, Leia, of well, course, they weren't given any choice with. They had to well, do what he they did. had to do. He said something specifically about how they handled Luke and, Luke and uh, Han. Oh, well, and what did he say about that? My philosophy before the sequels came out was that Star Wars was not the kind of thing where you killed off major characters. My logic on that one being if that was... We kill off major characters. Either Wedge or Lando would not have survived the second Death Star. Um, it always seemed to me this is the type where the heroes get into danger, and you have to. They have to figure a way out of it that you'll be happy at the end. Mm. Happy endings. Boom. Well, and, you know, heroes overcoming. You know, that's kind of mm-hmm. what Star Wars has always been about. Redemption and overcoming the impossible. So Timothy's on, like I said, he's, he spent a large portion of the last 20, 25 years writing stories in this universe about those characters. His, he, he's definitely allowed his opinions. He's entitled to his opinions and his opinions definitely deserve to be heard. So, um, I think Timothy is just saying what a lot of us are feeling. And he did a, such a great job with the stories. That's the other part. I mean, if he, if he had written stories that sucked, it would be a complete, completely different conversation we'd be having. But the care and that he took with the characters and with what he did and what he crafted were stories that that 
they um, they continued the saga to the point where I mean yeah new movies could be made and you didn't have a lot of people fall off of the the wagon in between well yeah I mean he was literally writing the movies that George Lucas thought would never get made I mean mm. so how do you <laughs> I mean that's just the bottom line is he was literally writing the movies and the stories that George Lucas never thought would be put on screen. And you know how many bad Star Wars books Timothy Zahn has written? Zero. They're all awesome. Every single freaking one of them is amazing. Every single one of them. So, yeah. I mean, the guy knows what he's talking about. If anybody is qualified to speak on the subject, it's him. Yeah. So... That that should be actually, and that could potentially lead us into the next bit of news that you thought you had sent me, but I didn't see, and I haven't seen yet. Oh, are we talking about the the Kennedy rumor? Yeah. Well, so I saw an article, and apparently there's some fallout over Rise of Skywalker. This is probably all unconfirmed rumor from a nameless inside source but there apparently rumors 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 of and whispers that maybe kathy kennedy will be forced out of her job over over all of the fallout from the new movies i mean it's a rumor take it for what you will but yeah there you have it yeah and there's a there was a i gotta read it um a little bit and find out exactly what it was but even even then there was something that she said that she was looking at the the future of star wars and kind of wanted to i don't want to say change it but yeah um and i don't know exactly what it was i didn't get a chance to read it and i i and so before i say anything on it I, you know, other than what I have, I, I really want to give it a chance to find out. She might be talking about some good changes, and it could be what the hang-ups we're seeing, and they could be thumbs up what we want. Um, on the flip side, it could be the hang-ups that we're seeing, and we're going to have to look at it and say, is this in line with the spirit of Star Wars? And, I mean, that... That has been a huge question. It's like the killing off of the main characters, and it's it it was that elder statement, uh, statesman kind of thing. It's it's what Zahn was talking about that didn't happen with the characters that we just all kind of expected would be the idea. Instead, they they needed to go the death route, like, and it didn't move the story along. It was it wasn't a re they you didn't have to kill him to move the story at all. Although, just... I mean, to be fair to one of the deaths is, uh, you know, Han Solo, Harrison Ford, oh. basically, mm. I don't want to say he begged for them to kill the character, but he said, hey, okay, look, I'll do this one more time, kill the character. And then J.J. True. had the idea of bringing him back and apparently met face-to-face with Harrison, gave him the script, and I don't want to say talked him into it, but you know, through his logic and story reasoning said, Hey, it's a short scene. You can get it done in like an hour or two or whatever. But this is like the emotional weight of the movie is just in this one scene and it involves you and we need you to do it. And 
he Harrison was like, you're right. I'll do it. It makes sense. It makes sense. Um, when it makes sense and it's good and it feels right and it feels in the spirit of the character. Um, and I feel that's maybe all of my bitching and moaning and pissy attitude comes to that as I the spirit of the character that that was created i don't feel like the 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 follow-up trilogy was in the spirit of the original characters maybe the new ones was and maybe the theme of the movies were in that sense but the actual spirit of the characters already created and and the spirit of star wars that came before it i i feel like it kind of trashed on well, I mean, that's definitely the big complaint when it comes to Luke Skywalker, for sure, is that, you know, the character we knew who was the farm boy eager to get into the fight, who, you know, was reckless and everything else became a hermit because of one mistake. And, you know, I mean, it, it's, it is what it is. It's over and done with. There's... They're never going to change it. Uh, I mean, hopefully J.J.'s director's cut gets released so something gets maybe gets added to make it better. But, I mean, Leia's character was the one who stayed truest to who we knew in the original movie. She was still the rebel, still fighting the fight. Uh, Agreed. Han, I think, was apparently broken by his son's betrayal, and that's why he did what he did. And, you know, Luke also broken by his nephew's betrayal, maybe. I just, I don't see, I don't see Luke giving up that easily. And I definitely don't see Han giving up that easy. Uh, well, never I tell him the odds. Shorted. Never tell him the odds. You know, he was the guy that said, people said, you can't do this. And he said, watch me. Well, it, we never got that reunion of Han and Luke. That pissed me off. Well, I pissed a lot of people off because we don't know. And some people have the opinion and some people don't. I'm one of the people that does not share this opinion. But some people think that Han hated Luke after the what went down with Ben. With Ben falling, Han blamed Luke and and hated him. And, you know, basically these guys who were best friends and everything else and brothers-in-law, I guess, at one point or another. Um yeah, he thought people people think Han hated Luke. And I don't think that's the case. And Luke certainly didn't hate Han because you saw what the news of his death did to him in The Last Jedi. Yeah, I didn't get the sense at all there was that kind of that, that visceral. I got more of the sense that Han wished that Luke was there because it was important for him to be there. It's like I never got the sense that they were they were fighting. Um, no, Han was sad. I think you could tell Han was sad in the Force Awakens when he's talking to to Ray and Finn on the on the Falcon, where they're like, "You knew Luke Skywalker," and you see him kind of get wistful, and he's like, "Yeah, I knew Luke." Yeah, Which is an him. interesting thing to say, also because you knew Luke Skywalker, yet we got the Mandalorian, and they're all like. Who the fuck? What the fuck's the Force? What the fuck's the Jedi? What Who the are fu- these sorcerers? And meanwhile, you have like this First Order, and you have this, and the Jedi have been dead even longer. And they're like, oh, well, 
Yeah, you knew Luke Skywalker? Wow. I mean, and I know he came back and all that, but and maybe that's some of the movie that he restored the whole... But I don't know. It just doesn't fit in with the how the movie's always portrayed it. Yeah, it's, maybe. it's very confusing, but... You brought up it the does Mandalorian. Say the outskirts. You brought up the Mandalorian, and that is what we're talking about tonight. Uh, finally, yes, we are going to do our series, or I'm sorry, season one breakdown, not series, because the series isn't over. The series is they're wanting to do five seasons. That's five what we seasons. read, right? Five mm-hmm. seasons. Five. Yes. I want them to do ten. Um but if, Favreau, if we get dude. five, if we get five, I'll be happy with five. You know what I found out about it? What did cool, you find out? Cool tidbit um, for for anybody who does like the show. Just a little bit of tri- game trivia. Um, how many of the episodes for the first season do you think that uh, Favreau wrote? Um, I think he only wrote like one or two of them. Six. He wrote six. Oh, okay. Six. Oh, wait. Six out of the eight. I have been thinking about directing because, yeah, there was a lot of different directors. Mm-hmm. A lot of different directors. Uh, Bryce, Dallas, Howard even being one. Yeah, yeah. She. Times. I think she directed episode four. Mm-hmm. And then Taika yep. Waititi directed the final episode of the season. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, Favreau wrote one through four and then seven and eight. Wow. Wow, and one through four and seven and eight, I think those are definitely the six strongest episodes of the season for sure. The right, the only ones that were not written by Favreau were the the uh, the gunslinger and the prisoner. Gunslinger and the prisoner, yeah. Well, there we have it, and and that's not saying the gunslinger and the prisoner were bad episodes because there was not a single bad episode in the series. Um, no, they were, they were great. They were great. Um, but they didn't really move the story along like say some of the like some of the other episodes because uh, they were well no that's not true because I can tell you right now the gun gunslinger still has one of the biggest questions of the series. It does, it does, um, which we'll talk about when we get to that episode, right? Um, but so, start. Let's go back to the start at the beginning. Uh, season one, episode one. Chapter one is uh, The Mandalorian is the title of the episode. Uh, we start off on an unnamed planet, I think. I don't remember hearing a planet name. Do you, do you remember hearing a planet name? No, I'm sure that they have a planet name at this point. But oh, I'm no, sure. And they probably even have it written down in the script or in, you know, in post-production or whatever. This is planet blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I don't remember the planet's name ever being said. Uh, we go to a cantina. We see... Some blue alien getting hassled by other aliens, and then, boom, the door opens, and here comes our favorite bounty hunter of all time now. Uh, move Navarro. Over. No, Navarro is the desert planet where their their base is, where the bounty hunter goes. Oh, I'm yeah, ta- you're right. No, they, don't, the even, ice they don't even say it. Talking about the ice planet at the beginning. Oh, shit, with the big things that grab the fucking... Ah. Yeah, that's right, the big things that grab the fucking... Yeah, so he, you know, man... <laughs> Mando walks in, the Mandalorian walks into the bar, uh, walks up to the bar, he starts getting hassled by the same aliens who are hassling the blue skin guy, and you see him go ham, basically kill all of them, and one of them, the, one of the coolest kills ever, he freaking, you know, lassos the guy, 
and door. pulls him into the door and lets the door freaking shut and you see the guy's legs drop. He just cut a dude in half with a door. <laughs> I'm like, that was like, I loved it. I was like, and I, you, you knew where they were willing to go like right away with the show. You knew where they were willing to go and you were like, thank God they went there because it should. Yeah. I was like, all right, so this is what they're going to do. This is what they're about. Right on. Right on. So you see him end up actually capturing the blue-skinned guy that was being hassled. Uh, you wouldn't suspect him to be a bounty target, but he was a bounty target. So he takes that guy in with his famous line. He, he apprehends him and says, I can take you in warm or I can take you in cold. And then you see him haul him off to the ship. He, they get attacked by, uh, by some big ice worms. Uh, you see him, they have to hire a speeder to get him back to his ship. And he said he doesn't want a droid pilot. And we start seeing the first of the Mandalorian's uh, hatred or distrust or whatever you want to call it for droids. It doesn't. Yeah, like I didn't droids. understand it at the point at that time. Yeah, there was no context. It. There was no context. Um, so we we get the blue alien on the ship. They get up into space. Alien starts poking around the ship, and then Mando freezes him in carbonite. Goes and goes in cold. Yeah, takes him in cold, but not not permanently cold. Just you know, temporarily. And we see a bunch of other people frozen in carbonite, uh, too. So Mando's apparently been rounding up all sorts of people, uh, takes all his bounties in, drops them off. Then, uh, then goes to Navarro to turn in his bounties to, uh, Carl Weathers character, whose name is escaping me at the moment because they only um, say it once for grief. Grief Karga. Grief Karga. Okay, yeah, because he only says it once in, I think, episode eight. Uh, that's the only time it's mentioned. Mm-hmm. So he goes to turn him in, and then he's like, well, hey, do you got more work? And the guy goes, yeah, here's what I have. And he goes, well, what's your highest paying one? He's like, 5000 And he scoffs. He's like, 5000 I can't even buy fuel for that. And then he says, well, I got another job. It's kind of off the books. It's kind of special. No puck. You have to go face-to-face meeting so face-to-face meeting he goes and meets Warner Herzog's character for the first time. Uh, we see stormtroopers. So we know this is an Imperial. And they say, you're going after a target that's 50 years old. Here's your tracking thing, which I don't understand how those tracking things are supposed to work. Like, they, it's, it seems it's space magic almost. But it's just like this thing apparently is coded to the person... And somehow and will lead you to it. If you point it in a certain direction, the faster it beeps the, or whatever is the direction, and then or whatever, if the closer you are and the fast, the right direction, it, the fast. It's it was like, but yeah, it's like he was also saying that it, what was it? Because it didn't come with the standard information or anything like that. It just was the location, his location. Or something. And the age. I think the location and the age. 50 years old. They said your target is 50 years old. Mm -hmm. So he goes. uh, He goes bolting off after the target. No. He goes and he meets. He goes and he meets the. The. Herzog. And doesn't he gives him a piece of best car. Right. Like up front. Mm -hmm. And then. And Uh, then. Prepayment. Yeah. Yeah. See. And then he takes the best car back. And we see the Mandalorian conclave for the first time. Uh, lots of Mandalorians running around this place. Lots of badassery. 
and but we and they're the, not the bad Mandalorians. You find out they're the yeah, yeah. And then we meet the armor, and uh, you know he hands in the the medal, and she said, "Oh, well, this I think a new pauldron. I think you deserve a new pauldron." And then we hear him mention something about make sure some get set aside for the foundlings. And, mm-hmm. and then we hear this is the way, I think, for the first time during that exchange. And, but we see him get a new piece of armor made. And then he goes taking off after after the bounty. And he lands on a planet, which, again, I don't know that we get a name for. Mm, this is... Uh... Q or what's his name? Q Quill Quill's planet. Quill. Quill's planet. Uh, no, I don't know that that they tell you. Yeah, I mean, it's it not. Is. It looks. I mean, it looks Tatooine-ish, but it's definitely not Tatooine. I think they. I would, think the they would have done something to let us know it was Tatooine. Yeah, I, the the best way to describe, I think, what. Uh, where we're at in the galaxy, even with the planet names, is they specifically state in the, um, what is it? The he, um, Favreau in the the description of the show, the synopsis of the show, specifically says a Mandalorian after Django and Boba fed a Mandalorian on the outskirts of the known galaxy kind of thing so they're at the very very edge of of the no of the galaxy yeah they're on the outer reaches of the outer rim yeah so yeah so anyway it goes to unknown planet where we get to meet quill who's voiced by nick nolte for the first time and you know he tells quill what's up and why he's there and quill goes well i'll show you the way but you're gonna need to learn how to ride one of these things i can't remember what they're called off the top of my head and we see a little like training montage of him busting bronco on a humpback lizard thing uh and then quill guides him to where he needs to go to go after this target and apparently there's been a lot of people coming for this target and none of them have succeeded so we know he's walking into something heavy and then He's kind of scouting the place. He's looking and seeing how many guards are there. And it's at this moment we get introduced to one of the better characters, I think, actually ever in Star Wars. Comes literally walking into the scene and we meet IG-11 for the first time. And IG-11 is an assassin droid. You've seen a similar droid in uh, Empire Strikes Back. And actually in the Clone Wars animated series, you see a whole cargo hold full of IG units. Uh, but they're quickly dismantled by the Jedi. And then IG-11 starts doing what IG-11 does. He says, hey, hand over the target. And they say no. And then he just starts shooting. So Mando hops down to get into the fight. And uh, IG-11 actually shoots him. And then Mando is just be like, I'm gilled. I'm gilled. <laughs> and then IG's like, oh, okay, well, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, why don't we team up? And he's like, okay, whatever. And then, then we see them fighting together. And then IG-11 keeps trying to destroy himself. He's like, I can't be captured. I've got to blow myself up. And you see a little bit of the show's humor leaking through where, where the Mandalorian is like, stop, stop trying to blow yourself up. 
<laughs> it's kind of that's such a great scene. It is. It's great. I, it's hilarious. It's yeah. something to. Uh, I mean, do they ever go into who is current? Who who has Baby Yoda right there? Right there. No, that's actually one of I think one of the greater mysteries of the show is obviously somebody paid for and provided a very high level of security to keep baby Yoda hidden and safe. So, and these didn't look like soldiers. They didn't look like rebellion soldiers. They looked like mercs. They looked like rough Mm -hmm. characters. So who would have the kind of resources to one, set that up to where these guys were just content to be chilling in the little desert compound with this baby for an indefinite amount of time. So, I mean, obviously somebody with resources set this up. Um, now, but it's never, can I offer, can I offer a theory? Yeah, absolutely. Knowing what we know now about the series, I'm wondering if we don't have, uh, some competing factions of the old empire. Um, because there was no hesitation when the cantina, like in, in episode eight, when the, he opens, uh, has the troops open fire. There's, they don't. There's no warning. They they just open fire and kill, even the empire. Everybody inside. The only ones that are alive are the good guys at the end. Right. Um, I'm wondering if you didn't have multiple factions because the other is to notice the stormtroopers' armor. One dirty, nasty, whatever. Uh, you know, and we've talked about that a little bit, but, um unkept kind of armor and then you have uh the other that was pristine and i get it different levels on the the scale of who they are and um potentially who they're working for or working with or or their resources available but i i wonder if if the moth didn't already have baby yoda and so the moth had Baby Yoda, and then a, a competing faction captured him and hid him away. And then that well, cat that kept sending uh, bounty hunters after him until the Mandalorian got him. And so, who's been chasing the Mandalorian and sending the bounties after him the whole time has been the one that he went in and stole from. But not just the one, but maybe both of them. Well, I mean. <coughs> I just I'm I'm not convinced that it's the empire. And the only reason mm-hmm. I say that is why would they everybody wants this baby or you know a bunch of people seem to want this baby for unknown purposes. Um you know we see the doctor in the third episode I think you know it seems like they were going to do some experiments on him. But like wants him alive. But yeah, what well actually no, they didn't care if he was alive or dead. Do you remember the doctor I, did though? Well, yeah, but you remember IG, they said, if you have to kill it, go ahead, but we'd prefer him back alive. Um, and IG 11, you know, after they blast their way through and kill all the, all the guards, you know, he's about ready to bust a cap into baby Yoda. The for after immediately after we meet him for the first time, I was like, Oh my God, it's a baby Yoda. And my wife looks at me and we're watching it together. And she goes, I want a baby Yoda. And I said, okay, baby, whenever they release a baby Yoda toy, I'll buy you a baby Yoda toy. And she goes, no, I want a real baby Yoda. And I'm like, well, I can't do anything about that. Um, but IG 11 is going to kill him. And then you get a close up on the Mandalorian and then you see a blaster go off and you assume like, holy shit, they just killed this fucking baby. And then no, it turns out Mando shot IG 11 in the head. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know. I somebody was paying a lot of money to keep Baby Yoda safe, and I mean, I I can't see. I'm I don't know. I'm not. There's a part of me that see, sees but, the Empire, but then there's a part of me that thinks the Rebellion. But it's like if it was the Rebellion, why didn't they just have them with like fucking Luke Skywalker? I don't know. Right now, I do. I do want to point out that, and the character's name is Doctor Pershing. Doctor Pershing. Okay. He, Pershing. He does insist uh, at the first meeting that the target be brought back alive, and then that's when what's his name, the the other guy, uh, Warner Herzog's older, character. Warner Herzog's character is like, it doesn't matter. You bring it back however you can, kind of thing. Right. Okay. Um, but he he is very insistent the whole time that this baby stays alive. In fact, down to the point where in time where in the third show, I think he even states that he's managed to keep them from killing the baby Yoda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. I remember so, that. I remember that. There's there's some questions about who that character specifically shapes up to be, or is he dead now? I, I I remember him getting shot, I think, but I don't know if he lived or died. We'll have to look into that. Yeah, I'll have I, to. I'm curious about that. Yeah. Anyway, but back to where we were. Uh, that's we got to the end of the episode because that's yeah where that's exactly the, the episode ends right in the head. Yeah, that's that's the last thing is. Uh, wait, doesn't he kind of reach out a finger like you would to a, a a human baby? You know, you reach your finger out in the baby. Yeah, yeah, he does that. Yeah, that's and you realize that there's a baby in that thing. Like you're like going, wait a second, that's not a fifty year old something. Well, it is in in Yoda's species, right? Apparently, that's when you get to number two, apparently. But then, yeah, that that ends that episode, and then we go to number two, uh, where we see uh, Mando is starting to make his way back to the ship or back to his his ship, the Razor Crest. Uh, you see him have to make. Uh, make camp for the night and you see actually this was one thing that you had no context for until later in the series and when you go back and watch it it's pretty cool so you see him tending to a wound on his arm and then you see baby yoda had gotten out of his crib thing and wandered over to him and you see baby yoda is reaching his hand out and you know now after watching the whole show that baby yoda wanted to use the force to heal him but Mando mm-hmm. picks him up and puts him back in his little floating space crib and I think seals it shut. Yeah. Yeah. Closes it. Closes it, seals it shut, and then, you know, goes to sleep or whatever. Next day, he's still making his way back. <coughs> I'm sorry, folks. I have a little bit of a cold. That's why I'm coughing. Uh, you see him get attacked uh, by more bounty hunters, kills them all. And then one of the freaking. One of my favorite parts in actually the whole freaking uh, season one. Uh, when he gets back to his ship. Yeah. <laughs> what ship? It's like a... <laughs> <laughs> we see those Jawas. pesky little Jawas, which is interesting, you know, because when you see Jawas, I think most people would assume that the planet was Tatooine. But apparently Jawas are all over the galaxy. And this is actually even more interesting because if you... I don't know if you remember in the Knights of the Old Republic game, you go to Tatooine and you have to deal with the Jawas uh, to try to find the star map. And one of the Jawas tells you 
that long, long time ago that they were an advanced species who roamed the galaxy, but then they had a bunch of bad shit happen to them and they regressed. And now they're, now they're reduced to being scavengers. So there's Jawas apparently and colonies of Jawas scattered everywhere. Uh, and so this is another one of those colonies, which I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, so the Jawas have stripped his ship and you see Mando if- going after them and you, you see disintegrations because <laughs> he just starts <laughs> blasting Jawas and they literally just. <laughs> uh, they get mad at him for that. And then it ends with him getting just getting to the top of the freaking sand crawler. And they just shock the shit out of him. And he. And, and meanwhile, Baby Yoda's little carriage thing is following along because he's got it set up to, like, navigate through his arm control thing. Their suits can and do so he a goes, lot, man. Like, they should, yeah. they should teach Iron Man how to build a suit because... Seriously. Yeah, their suits can do some cool shit. Uh, and so he ends up falling off the sand crawler after he's shocked and Baby Yoda the, the ends up catching up to him. Yeah. Um, but then we see him go then, back to Quill. And, you know, ask for ask for some help and, you know, be like, well, this is the Jawas stole my stuff. And Quill's like, oh, come on, let's go talk to him. So Quill apparently deals with the, the Jawa on a regular basis. Uh, and we see that they're away. they're pretty scared shitless of the Mandalorian when he comes rolling up and, you know, they make him uh, leave his weapons behind. And then we hear Mando say weapons are a part of my religion. Uh, which is really cool, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they start bartering with the Jawas, and the Jawas say they will return his ship parts uh, if he brings them the egg. And I assume that that was a metaphor, but as it turns out, it's not. It's an egg. It's an egg. They, they wanted w- an egg. And so we see... They drive Mando to where he can get the egg, and he goes and he fights some giant beast, which turns out to be named a Mudhorn. And, and this is also one of the first times, I mean, beyond seeing the Mando get his butt kicked. Oh, he gets wrecked. Um, but you see you see Baby Yoda use the Force for the first time. Yes, he, he lifts the Mudhorn up out of his charge, which presumably would have finished Mando off. And, uh, you know, despite taking multiple blaster hits and flamethrower and everything else, Mando's tiny little knife just took one stab. That's all it took. The vibro knife. One vibro right. knife stab right to the head and kills the thing. And then he he literally goes in and gets a giant freaking egg. I mean, and his armor is just wrecked. Like Oh, it was bad. Yeah, his armor was just shredded. And Baby Yoda, like, doesn't Baby Yoda all pass out? Yeah, Baby Yoda just just blacks out for, like, a Mm -hmm. day. Like, for a really long time from the exertion of using the Force. But they give the Jawas the egg, and they crack the egg open, and they start eating the yolk, and they give him his ship parts back, and... He, uh, they take the ship parts back and Quill, uh, Quill's with him and, and Mando's like, this is going to take me forever to fix. And then Quill goes, you know, it'll be faster if you help me. And then you see some of Quill's expertise, uh, and they build the ship good as new. And then, uh, we leave Quill behind for the next, uh, four episodes. We don't see him again until episode seven. 
And Mando goes rocketing back to Navarro with his bounty in hand. Now, an interesting thing I think uh, that I about that inter- about that episode that I I really was left with questions about was Baby Yoda's use of the Force. Was it instinctual when he tries to use it to heal uh, heal the Mandalorian? Um, when he uses it to lift the mud horn, is that something that he's been trained to do? He's learned to do, or are we are we talking just instinctually? He knows how to do it because healing is not something that I mean seems completely instinctual. For we only first saw it very you know for the first time in any of the the movie or live action properties in Rise of Skywalker. That's not true. Or no? We see it in A New Hope. When after Luke gets his ass kicked by the Sand People, and then Obi-Wan comes along and scares them off, Obi-Wan crouches down by Luke's unconscious body and puts his hand on his forehead. Oh, shit. Now, you don't get the visual view of a wound being closed like you do in The Mandalorian, but what do you suppose he was doing? I mean, he had to have been using the Force to heal him, right? I hadn't even thought about it. And now, that's just my personal feeling. I don't know that it's confirmed, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, even if he was just making sure that Luke didn't have any fucking brain damage or some shit. Yeah, or even if he was just using the Force to try to bring him back, you're seeing him using the Wake Force in a way to heal, you know? And Luke mm-hmm. comes to shortly thereafter, so... I mean, wow. Obi-Wan was doing something. He wasn't checking a pulse. You don't check a pulse on a forehead. Dude, I had never even... You're so fucking right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that is cool. Okay, so I stand corrected, completely corrected. That's... Wow. Yeah, pretty but awesome, But, of right? course, Obi-Wan would know how to do it, and then, I mean, he didn't get a chance to teach it to anybody. Yeah, well, I mean, Ray learned it somehow, so maybe she learned it from the old Jedi texts. Who knows? Or, you know, the, he, he visited her in the head and it, she just instinctually knew how to use it like a lightsaber. Um, right. But, I mean, I I feel like Yoda's species is just, they are all innately strong in the Force. And mm-hmm. maybe the ability to use the Force is just natural to them. You know, like, they don't view it as using the Force. They just they're just doing what they do. Like, I I think he's consciously doing it. He's obviously making the choice to try to walk up to the Mando and put his hand on him to heal his wound. He's choosing to do that. I mean, and he chose obviously, I, I, I think it's just something they know how to do. I think it's like you and I know how to pick up a cup. It's like, it's just one of those things I can do it. And this is, I just do it like this. It's like, it's not something that he, right. Like does Exactly. But he knows how to use it. He just doesn't... You don't have to understand it always to use it. Right, right. He doesn't maybe know... He doesn't necessarily know how he's doing it. He just knows that he can do it. Yeah. All right. So chapter three, The Sin. The Sin. Oh, and chapter two is called The Child, by the way. We forgot to bring that up. It's called The Child, which is actually the official name for Baby Yoda. He's, he's in all the merchandise and everything else. He's referred to as the child. 
Because Yoda is not a species, obviously. It's just an individual. Yes. And... Yes. So. And it's not like he's named Yoda. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, I mean, who knows? He might be. Maybe. He might be Yoda Jr. Who knows? <laughs> so The Sin is a pretty interesting episode. Again, it's one that we can look back on with a little bit of reflection after seeing the later episodes and maybe get a little understanding as to why uh, Mando does what he does. But you see him turn in the bounty and he gets a whole heap of Beskar. You see him show a little bit of concern about what's going to happen for the child. He asks, they kind of blow him off and you see baby Yoda being let off. Uh, but then he goes back to the cantina where he's greeted by, by grief <coughs> Karga. With his Mando, you know, every, you know, <laughs> big booming Carl Weathers, freaking love Carl Weathers to death. Such a, such a good choice of, of actor to play that role. Uh, but uh, first you see him take that pile of Beskar to the Conclave where he gets a new set of armor forged, but he also gets he, shit from some of the other Mandalorians because it's Beskar that yeah. was stolen from them. And then it was stamped with the Imperial seal. And you see a little bit of a scuffle between Mando and uh, another Mandalorian who was played and voiced by John Favreau. So Favreau got that to put some a armor cool on. Scene, dude. Uh, that fight scene was like that was a cool like just kind of intro into that whole I, I don't know that the whole flow and tone of of that they really get the Mandalorian co culture he he really nailed that yeah we definitely start getting our glimpse into this society that they're not what we thought they were uh, just there's an honor about them. yes they they have a code they have a creed. Um, and we see the armor who another one of the cooler characters they've introduced in a while, uh, kind of settle things down and straighten them out. And we get a, we get a hearty, this is the way from the Mandalorians and she forges brand new set of armor for Mandalorian. Whose, whose real name is Jin Darin, although we don't know this at this point. Um, so then he goes and talks to, to, uh, Carl Weathers' character to Grief Karga. Grief Karga, right? That's that's the name yeah. of Grief Karga. Yeah. Grief uh, Karga. And, you know, he's asking, you know, and he goes, you get my, you get choice of jobs. You did the impossible. And, man, well, how many of these other bounty hunters had the, the tracking fobs? And he's like, all of them. Every one of them had them, and you're the only one who got it done. Uh, so you see Mando maybe pick out a new job, and he goes, you know what they're going to do with the kid? And he's like, I don't know. It's part of our our code is not to ask uh, part of the bounty hunter guild code. You don't, you don't know what the target, what's going to happen to the target. You just collect the target and turn it in. Well, you can clearly see that Mando is concerned what's going to happen with the child. Uh, but you see him run I off. I think you nail why in we, you were talking about it earlier because it's, it's, he, you don't know it now, now, but this is the first time you really get the kind of, or is this when you first get the kind of cut scene? Yeah, yeah, you get a little bit of a cut scene about, you know, with like, I think you might see the battle droid opening his hiding place 
and his planet getting attacked. I think you see a little bit of that, but there's no real context other than something sometime during the Clone Wars, his planet was attacked by by the Separatists. And you get an idea of why he kind of hates that with that scene, you see the droid again. And so you see an idea of why you might hate it of why and, he hates droids. Yeah. But, yeah. but what you don't see is why he is showing concern for the child. And the reason yeah. he's showing concern for the child is because there seems to be a cultural thing among these Mandalorians is that they have concerns and cares for what they call foundlings, but what we would probably call orphans. They seem to mm-hmm. care about those who have been, you know, through whatever reason, abandoned by those who are supposed to take care of them. And yep. you you get that cut scene of the battle droid, I think, when he's literally on his ship and firing up his engines to go after his next target. But then you see him power down, and he makes the decision that he just can't abandon the child to whatever its fate would be at the hands of the Imperials, and he goes on a rescue mission. Uh, so we get to see some blasty, blasty flamethrower stormtrooper killing. Never get some tired. blast through a wall, dude. He goes through the wall. Yeah, we never get tired of seeing stormtroopers get shot. Uh, and we see his best car armor is basically impenetrable to laser blasts at any rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, he rescues the child, and on his way out of town, we get a we get a cut scene hopping back to the bar and all those tracking fobs for the child flare up and he is intercepted on his way out of town by the bounty hunters guild uh with grief karga at the at the forefront and he's well he's gonna get the kid out or die trying and so big gunfight ensues best scenes yeah i love that gunfight massive gunfight and he's pinned down in like a like a droid powered sled or whatever. And he's trying to just keep making his way to his ship. But then lo and behold, the cavalry arrives and all of his Mando buddies from the conclave show up and help him escape. Uh, you see grief Karka wounded. I thought they killed him. Actually. I thought he, I thought he was shot and killed, but uh, turns out he was not, but you don't really find that out until episode seven. Uh, but you see Mando with the help of with the help of the other Mandalorians escape. And you see a a Mandalorian with a jetpack flying alongside, and you see Mando go, oh, I gotta get me one of those. And that's basically the end of, of episode three. And then we go to episode four, which is entitled Sanctuary. <clears throat> and this is where he meets I really honestly I I some I think there's back and forth, but one of my favorite characters actually. Yeah, you know, dude, I honestly I love all of these new characters. But yeah, we get to meet Cara Dune, uh, played by Gina Carino for the first time. And so basically there's a uh I can't remember the name of the planet. They actually said the name of the planet, but I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. Um maybe you can see. grab that. Planet Sorgan. Sorgan, that's right. So beginning, you see a a peaceful, idyllic-looking village get attacked by what looks like raiders. Uh, You see a mom protecting her son. They hide under a basket that's floating in a little pond so they don't get killed. The raiders come and take what they want and then leave. Then you go to the Mandalorian in space, and you you get the little— Dude, that— What's up? 
that scene, that that scene where they're hiding under the basket, like my, I, I had my butthole clenched the whole time. Oh yeah, I was no, like dude, that was real. Freaking that nervous, was real. That the leader of the Raiders was like, you could see his feet through the wicker of the basket. Yeah, it was nuts. Ah, uh, dude, crazy. Yeah, I was like, ah, they got me with that one. Yeah. So then we get to the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda in the cockpit. And this little scene has actually become fodder for some internet memes where baby Yoda can't help himself. He's playing with switches and causing all sorts of havoc. Um, my favorite, my favorite little internet meme or whatever you want to call it. That's come out of that is it was, uh, you know, when your mom or when your dad is driving the car, but you want to play with the radio. And so every time baby Yoda was hitting the switch, like a rap song would come on. <laughs> and then some Amanda was shutting them down, shutting the rap down. Or turning his own music back on. I can't remember. I haven't seen it in a few weeks. But anyway, you get that little scene, and then you see Mando's kind of flipping through charts and looking at planets, and he decides on Sorgan. He goes, it's out of the way. There's no big cities, no major population, no spaceport. He goes, we should be able to hide out here for months. And then he's like, all right, kid, you ready to go to this planet and kind of stretch your legs for a while? So they get to Sorgan. Mando tells the kid to stay on the ship. And then you get an exterior shot of the ship. The ramp lowers down. You see Mando standing at the top of the ramp, and then Baby Yoda's ankle high. Literally, you get you you get the good scale. I think for the first time of how little Baby Yoda actually is, um, standing like ankle high to to the Mandalorian. And Mando looks at him in size, and they both go tromping off to the village. Mando finds the bar, gets the kid some food, and. Uh, we see Cara Dune for the first time, although there's no interaction for the next couple of minutes. Uh, Mando kind of questions the bartender about her, and she goes, I have no idea. She just got here like a week or two ago is what she said. Uh, Mando takes his eyes off of her for a few mi- seconds. Like, it's literally almost instantaneous. He just looks away, and then he looks back, and she batman him. She just up and vanished. So Mando tosses a coin to the bartender and says, watch the kid, and goes out looking because he assumes that this is another bounty hunter and that somehow this bounty hunter beat him here and is, you know, there for the kid. So he goes out and he uses, he has this cool IR vision in his helmet where he can see the footprints and he's following the footprints and then he loses the footprints. And then Kara attacks him. Like she jumps off the roof of something and they get into a little scrap. Badass fight scene. We get some, we get some jujitsu and punches and Mando tries to use his flamethrower and Kara like stomps his arm and, and then you see them kind of roll around and they both pull their pistols simultaneously. And then they, they look off to the side and you see Baby Yoda standing there just sipping out of a cup, which is another shot that's become internet memes. Um, <laughs> He's fodder for them. Yeah, this, this whole show is massive fodder for internet memes. Um, but for good reason, because Baby Yoda's adorable. Right. Well, and then, you know, uh, Mando goes, Do you, can I buy you a drink or something along those lines? They go into the bar and you see him talking. You find out that Kara was a rebel dropship trooper. And she's kind of talking about, you know, what they've been doing since the end of the war. And then how what they ended up doing with, like, diplomatic protection wasn't what she signed on for. And so she set out on her own. And then she's like, get out of here. Yeah, and then she's like, hey, I'm hiding here. I know you came here to hide, but I got here first, so you have to move on. So he goes back to his ship. And you see him kind of getting ready to leave. And then a couple guys from the village that was attacked at the beginning of the show approach him and say, hey, you're a mercenary, right? 
And he's like, well, what makes you think that? And they're like, well, you're in Mandalorian armor, so are you a Mandalorian? He goes, yeah, yeah. And they toss him some money and say, hey, we're from this village. We need protection. We're getting attacked. Um, you know, Mando turns them down. He's just going to leave. But then as they're leaving, you know, you hear them kind of grumbling. We have to go all the way back. It's a day's travel, and we're going back empty-handed. And that kind of gets his attention. He goes, wait, you have a village out in the middle of nowhere? They're like, yeah, didn't you hear what we were saying to you? He's like, you got a place for me to stay? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, help, help me out. And then you see him grabbing some cases. You see him supplies, weapons or whatever. He goes, load these up. And then he goes, give me give me the money you were going to offer me. And he goes and somehow magically finds Cara Dune and tosses her the money and says, hey, you, you, want, a, you want a job? And so they go rolling out to this village together. You find out the situation that they're being attacked by raiders and they need protection. And then coming like in that <laughs> sequence between them getting there and the the raiders coming actually is another one of my favorite. This it's full of favorite scenes, but like just memorable scenes, I guess. Um, you see Baby Yoda eating the frog for the second time. Oh no, First that's time, later. That's later. That's later. That's way later. Is it really? Yeah, it's way oh, later. Oh, wow. Yeah, because he gets there and all, the, so all the kids see Baby Yoda and are like, oh, he's adorable. And then you see him kind of move into their lodgings. And the uh, mm-hmm. the woman who hid the kid at the start of the show is kind of like the – almost seems like the mayor or the leader of the village. And her kid is just enamored with Baby Yoda. And, and you know, they kind of tell Mando and Kara about the situation and they're offering them food. And uh, I can't remember who it was asked him when was the last time he had his helmet off. It might have been Kara, and he's like, "I had it off yesterday." Kara asked him, to, "Yeah, or maybe it was no, or maybe it was. I thought it was Kara, but maybe it was the maybe it was the lady." Yeah, but you hear the the subject of, you know, when when was the last time you had your helmet off? And he goes, "Yesterday." And so, you know, that's kind of interesting. But it doesn't have any context until more towards the end. But then, you know, the kids. Omera, uh, he, it was the it was the lady. It was the lady. The mother. Yeah. yeah. And so the kid wants to take Baby Yoda out to play, and he's a little hesitant about it, but he allows it. Um, they find out what their mission is, and then you do see his helmet come off, but you only see that he sets his helmet on a windowsill. Uh, and then next day, him and Kara are out scouting. They're finding signs of the battle and broken tree limbs and big giant footsteps. And then they figure out that these raiders have an ATST, which, uh, if that's not striking a bell to you, Return of the Jedi, Battle of Endor, all the Imperial walkers, the two legged ones running around the forest, that's an ATST. So they're like, we ain't got the firepower to take on this thing. We got to go back and tell them. So they go back to the village and Mando's like, I'm sorry, but you have to move. Like you can't live here anymore. You gotta go find someplace else. We can't kill this thing. And, <laughs> Get out of here. And Kara kind of gives him shit for not having any uh any manners about it or being so blunt. Um and then he goes, Look, the two of us can't do it. And they said, There's twenty or thirty or how I remember. They said there's a bunch of us here. Teach us how to do it. And so you see a training montage where they start teaching them how to fight and use blast. They give like 10 people blasters and then like the rest of them have sticks, but <laughs> you take this, go stab the ATSC, stab, stab that it, walker. stab it in the foot. 
So, but they come up with a plan to take out the walker where they're like going to lure it into a pit. And then, so once every, once the training montage is done, everybody gears up and goes rolling out to, uh, uh, Mando and Kara go out and they say, well, we're going to bait the, the raiders and the walkers to come into the village. And that's when hopefully we'll kill it. So they go out and they cause some havoc. They kill a bunch of people. They blow up the, they blow something up and then you see the walker come to life and it's got glowing red eyes. Like it's kind of cool. Uh, cause you really only see it in silhouette for the most part until it actually gets to the village. And then you see it in full form, um, big battle rages, you know, you got the guys with the sticks out there in melee combat and the guys with the blasters taking pot shots, uh, Walker doesn't quite advance as far as they wanted it to. And, uh, so Kara goes rushing out with Mando's blaster. I think she calls it a pulse rifle. His big long rifle that you mm-hmm. saw him disintegrating Jawas with. Uh, she starts taking pot shots through the at the armor, and she gets one through the eye, and that makes it or through the the hatch, I guess, one of the viewports, and that I guess pisses off the driver enough to make it want to walk forward, and it walks forward, falls down into the pit. Uh, Mando throws the thermal detonator and blows it up, and the good guys win, yay! Mm-hmm. Uh, then you <laughs> see, you know, peaceful village. Apparently, this is a couple weeks later where everything seems to be calm and normal and Kara and Mando are just chilling and hanging out and baby Yoda's playing with the kids. And that's when you see him eat the frog, but he spits it out. When he spits it out the first time (laughs) though, you ever see it is back in episode two with the Jawas and they're going, well, it's not the Jawa scene, but it's, it's it's, at Quill's house. I think it's Quill's house or whatever. And yeah, it's like, he goes and he just completely devours in one bite the entire goddamn frog. A frog that's like half his size. Oh, yeah. He just one shot just downs it. And then, and and then, then looks up at Mando like, what? I was hungry. But then, yeah, I don't yeah. know. That frog must not have tasted good or whatever. But um, <laughs> So you see that going on. And you see the, you see the lady, the main lady you know, offer them some food and something to drink. And car is like, well, what are you going to do? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to leave and I'm going to leave the kid here. He's going to be safe. He's going to be protected and cared for. And Kara's giving him shit about it. She's like, you mean you don't want to take that helmet off and settle down with that beautiful young widow and whatever. Um, and he's like, I can't, if I take the helmet off in front of anybody, I can't put it on again. So he's obviously not willing or ready to give up the crew not be a mando and not be the mando although i suspect when the series ends that's where the series will end is with him taking off his helmet and settling down with her just a guess we'll see if i'm right here in a few years Ooh, that's a, you know that's not a bad one that would not, not be a, a that would not be a bad ending it's definitely i think an ending that everybody would be happy with um you know i don't think people would be happy if he ends up dead uh, settling down with the baby Yoda too. Well, I think baby Yoda is going to be in the hands of his people by then. And by that, I mean the Jedi, but that's a couple years down the road, at least we'll get there. Um, but then right there at the end, as he's really kind of like, he's watching all this and you're seeing his plan. He's starting to get ready to get out of there. And all of a sudden you get that scene of the bounty hunter lining up the shot on baby Yoda. Well, but we also see the lady trying to take his helmet off and he yeah, stops yeah, her. Oh, he yeah. hesitates. Like he, 
you can see he kind of wants to, but he stops her. And then, yeah, but that's while that's going on, that's where we're seeing the, the sniper shot being lined up on baby Yoda's head. And once again, we get a moment of suspense where we get a blaster shot and we don't exactly know what happened. But uh, then we see that Kara somehow spotted this guy and snuck up behind him and popped him in the back. And that's when the Mandalorian realizes they're not going to stop. Yeah. Well, they're not going to be safe there. They're going to keep coming. And then if he stays there at the village, then everybody is going to be at risk. So, hey, it's time to move on. (coughs) Mm -hmm. So, And that leads us into the first episode that was not penned by uh, Favreau. Right. And um, would you say maybe that this episode, even though it's still a great episode, was maybe the weakest episode of the season? What was that? Do you think this episode is the weakest episode of the season out of all eight episodes? Um, is this maybe the the weakest one? It was still great. It was still fun. It was a good episode, but yeah, oh boy. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think because. Okay. Well. Anyway. Does I, I I guess my best way to say it was and to answer your question really quick. You know, sorry, I didn't mean to go blank um, and and give it without talking through it. But ultimately, I watched this whole episode. I can't say it was my favorite episode. I can't say I really ultimately enjoyed it. I watched the whole thing. I did find though with the prisoner, the next one, I didn't. I I like I was. I literally was walking back and forth away from the TV and and wasn't engaged in that one nearly as much. Although I there were scenes in in it that I liked more, but this one overall, five or six were probably the weakest episodes in my opinion. Yeah, and sure. I, I don't know. I go back and forth on them. Well, and and neither of them really advanced the story at all. They just kind of told story. Yeah. Um, but we, anyway, so we see the gunslinger episode five Mando's in space. He's getting attacked by another bounty hunter and we see a neat little space battle. They're talking to each other over the headsets, you know, over the radios. He's like, come on, give up the kid and we'll let you live. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and then we see Mando's ship take some damage and then Mando does a cool maneuver after the guy says, I can bring you in warmer. I can bring you in cold. Mando does a cool maneuver and goes, that's my line. And then he destroys the ship. Uh, so then Mando now has to put down for repairs. And lo and behold, he chooses to set down on a planet we all know and love, Tatooine. And not only Tatooine, but in that wretched hive of scum and villainy, most icely spaceport. So he lands there. Lady says he doesn't have enough money on him to repair his ship and so he's got to go out and do what he does get a get a job uh tracking someone down or killing somebody to pay for the repairs of his ship which seemed kind of like almost in my mind you know and now that now that we're going into it this yeah this was the weakest one i really i this was one where i i I remember watching it and thinking are you for uh for real uh not only that I can't tell you I liked uh, the Toro Calican or whatever his name was. The the bounty hunter he helps. Yeah, kid. yeah, yeah. He was kind of what annoying. A... He was kind of annoying. Oh, uh, yeah. 
but that yeah, might have been sorry. the actor more than than anything else but mm, i feel like the character was supposed to be and i just felt like there was way too much almost kind of wannabe han solo episode with other stuff going on it's just like i don't know i just i did not feel it yeah but i mean still a good episode Still a great episode. I love the speeder bikes. I loved. Uh, I, well, we'll get into all. Yeah, that. we'll get into all um, of that. But yeah. so, still a great episode. I just didn't like. We it. also see Droid Hatred Part Two come out, where he tells mm. the lady, "Don't use droids to repair my ship." So mm-hmm. yeah, he goes wandering into town, goes to a very familiar cantina that uh, we've seen before. And it's even still filled with some of the same alien-looking characters that were there the first time we saw it. And, you know, he talks to the robot bartender, which is funny because in The New Hope, the bartender was like, we don't allow droids in here. And now there's a droid behind the bar. Um, You know, and the bartender is like, Bounty Hunter Guild don't have no presence here, buddy. And then, yeah, Baby Bounty Hunter Jr., whatever his real name is. Shouts at Mando from his his seat in his corner and says, hey, come over here. I got a job. We're going after, do you know the name of the the bounty target off the top? Vanek Shan. Vanek Shan. Okay. We're going after her. And Mando's heard of her. Mando goes, dude, she's badass. You know, like this isn't like. If you go after her, you're not going to come yeah, back. You're done. Her, she's a badass. Uh so he convinces Mando to help him. They're going to split the money. Mando goes, okay, give me the tracking fob. And for some weird reason, the kid destroys it. And he goes, I know, I got, it's all up in my head. I mean, maybe he thought Mando was just going to rush off and do the job without him. I don't know. But, I mean, we know Mando has honor. This guy doesn't know that. So, whatever. Uh, tells him to bring some speeder bikes and tells him to meet him at, you know, docking bay, whatever. So... Meanwhile, the lady running the repair place discovers Baby Yoda as Baby Yoda tries to wander off the ship. And, you know, she goes, oh, well, I'll take care of you and then I'll charge him more money. You know, whatever. So, you know, Baby Yoda is being held by the woman as he goes out and gets on the speeder bikes. And so, you know, Bounty Hunter Jr. sees Baby Yoda, but, you know, doesn't really react, doesn't seem to know or care what it is or what's going on. Uh, and they, they go racing off across the desert together. Then you see them come to a stop and they run into the sand people, which was kind of cool. Uh, sand people get the drop on bounty hunter jr. Although Mando is fully aware that they're there. And then we see a different side of the sand people. Like you would assume from what you saw of them in a new hope and attack of the clones that they're just mindless savages, but they have a language, they have customs, and apparently they don't just attack on sight and that you can travel across their lands if you want. You just got to barter. And so you see Mando force the the baby hunter, or the baby, I'm just going to call him baby hunter, to give up his brand new pair of binoculars so they can get passage across the, the Tusken Raiders lands. And they go so, zooming off again on their speeder bikes. Can I just... Kind of, I mean, well, no, I'll, I'll I'll posit this question when when we get done with the whole wrap up. But there's something I I'm starting to think. Uh, 
I'm starting to wonder about. Remind me to come back to it. Oh, n- dude, no. Bring it up right now. Go for it. Well, okay, Baby Hunter. Baby Hunter, okay. Baby Hunter. He smashed the tracking fob. Yes. If he was working at all with the guild. At all. We saw how many of the bounty hunters at the at the guild spot back in Navarro. Everybody had a Yoda tracking fob, right? Right. What if the tracking fob wasn't for Fennec Shand? Mm. What if he just knew Shand was there? Uh, uh, and the goal was to get the Mandalorian killed. I mean, there, I feel like there there were things about the episode like I don't know that it's like you, you mentioned. It's all up here. It's all in my head. Those kind of things. And it's like I'm like but where did he get where did he get the information from? Well, I mean, he probably got it at some other guild representative place off world and then, you know, just followed the trail to Tatooine. He said it was that was he wasn't actually a member of the guild yet. So maybe right. maybe they just didn't trust him with guild information. They said I mean, well, although why'd they give him why did they give him such a dangerous target for his like initiation job? Mm-hmm. Like they either wanted him dead or he wasn't being truthful about where that fall. Right. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's really curious, but I mean, he definitely knows where to go to get Shan because you know you see them come across the the body of another bounty hunter who's uh, strapped to the the back of a dewback. Uh, Mando goes to investigate, and you know, baby bounty hunter is like, "You're not going to keep all of his stuff, are you? Can I have the blaster at least?" And blah blah blah. And then all of a sudden, boom! You see Mando get shot, and. Uh, mm-hmm. He goes booking back and takes another shot along the way. And he's like, did you see where that shot came from? And uh, he goes, yeah, from the ridge over there. And he goes, well, thank God, you know, like the is a sniper bolt, but the range, you know, allowed the best guard to take the hit. And he goes, well, what are we going to do? Just get on our bikes and go riding. We'll get shot off before we even get there. And he goes, nope, we're going to wait. So you see Mando just kind of sack out on the ground and the kid goes to watching and then you know next thing you know it's night and the kid is still watching and mando's still sleeping and you see him kind of doing some gunslinging like oh i could kill you right now if i wanted to i'm such a badass and you're sitting there all weak and old and blah 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 and mando's like are you done yeah it was an odd scene and then mando goes all right here's the plan here's some flares we're gonna go just charging and then periodically we're gonna take turns firing off these flares to try to blind her her scope enough to get close to, to take her down. So they go zooming off, firing flares, firing flares. They get close, but she gets a shot off and uh, destroys Mando's bike and has Mando pinned down and is kind of focusing on finish him off. But the kid gets the drop on her and captures her. Mando comes running up to join her. Uh, and we see that she's played by uh, Ming-Na Wen, which is, awesome she's an amazing actress um and then mando goes well you know we can't uh we can't get her back on all of us back on one speeder bike so kid go find that that do back and bring that do back over here and that's what we'll use and he goes no you go so mando goes off to find the do back spots him with uh his his magic visor <sighs> so then we have baby, and this is the interesting part where the baby hunter gets uh, 
basically talked into going after the Mandalorian, but weird things happen. Uh, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of odd that she's like, do you know who that is? And she kind of fills him in on everything, you know, that the guild is after the Mandalorian, and then he's got this target. And the kid's like, well, I saw this weird-looking baby thing, but... You know, oh, I'll be, I'll become a legend if I bring the Mandal, if I bring Mando in. All right, and then he decides, oddly, to just kill her. Like, why not try to collect both bounties? Right, especially if it was like she got unruly. I had to kill her. It's like it wasn't like the bounty was no good if she was turned in dead. Right? Yeah, I don't know. It's really odd. That, but yeah, he ends up killing her and then leaving. And so Mando comes back and, you know, finds the body and kind of maybe puts two and two together and then goes racing back to Moss Eisley and gets to the hangar and uh, baby bounty hunters got baby Yoda held hostage. And, you know, he makes Mando drop his blaster and put your hands behind your back and whatever. And then you see Mando has another one of those flares and Mando pops the flare off and gets his blaster and bye-bye baby bounty hunter guns him down and you know tosses all the money that i guess baby bounty hunter had on him to the chick and (coughs) saddles up in his ship with the baby yoda and flies off and that's the end of the gunslinger and then we Mm -hmm. move on to episode six the prisoner not the end of the gunslinger yeah no, not, not the end. Not the end. Oh, that's right. End. That's right. That's one right. of the biggest questions that everybody has kind of got because of this episode had so many pieces that I I don't know maybe it disjointed almost in some ways. It like they didn't add up. I guess it it some things just didn't feel like you. They didn't feel right. I guess in my mind. Um, but in the very end, you see a mysterious sh- person kneeled down by Shan's body. Pair of boots. Like, that sounded mm-hmm. like they had spurs attached to them. Jingling and jangling mm-hmm. as they come walking up. So the question is, who is that or who could it be? Well, so the one big bit of speculation that I heard was that it's Boba Fett. And they're basing it off of the spurs because apparently Boba Fett wore spurs and apparently you can hear them making that exact same sound as he's walking on Bespin in Empire Strikes Back. I have not watched Empire Strikes Back to go and research this to see if it's true. But that is the popular Internet theory is that this was Boba Fett. Now, why if now why? Right. Because why is other than to just tease Boba Fett, maybe. Well, he was eaten. Well, he went into the Sarlacc pit, but we also know that he's wearing apparently Beskar steel armor himself and that that is incredibly durable and maybe he was able to escape. That's what happened in the expanded universe is that Sarlacc, you know, when you go into Sarlacc, you're digested over a thousand years. But... Apparently, his armor protected him in the books in the expanded universe, and he was able to kill Sarlacc from the inside and escape. And he said, the Sarlacc found me to be undigestible, was the quote that came out of that. So, 
Okay. Maybe okay. this is again Favreau tipping the cap towards the old EU, and maybe it's now. Not. Django and Boba are not in this in the new canon. They're not in any way, shape, or form tied to Mandalorians. In fact, they are considered um, just mercenaries that wear that have stolen the armor. Right, right. And especially, I mean, Django was seen without his helmet. So, I mean, we obviously know he doesn't follow the creed. Right, which is really funny that they did that with Django considering Legends in EU. He was like, he actually at one point was Mandalore. Well, I mean, he must have been disgraced for something or another. Um, um, I want to say he was he was taken out of his position... Um, it was, I don't remember what it was. It was, oh, what happened? Um, I want to say it was, he, cause he kills, I want to say kills Vizsla. Um, or maybe it's the other way around. Anyway. Um, it was it was the other side. He ultimately wants to needs to redeem his old master. He was uh, taken in like the Mandalorian. Uh, his parents were killed, and he was taken in as an orphan, as a foundling, um, and trained in the ways of um, the Mandalore uh, Mandalorians under specifically Mandalore uh, Jareet something or other, um, and then is there when Jareet gets killed by Vizsla and thus there, I guess the other guy that was there, the like second in charge, he basically abandons Jareet and uh, Django stays and then carries, carries the dead Mandalore back to the, the escape ships and everybody turns on the second command and only will follow Django. And that's, the transition but anyway um so it's it's kind of there's some ways it's like i'm not gonna exactly say that it's almost like it's a tip to that hat that might have been taken out like because Django was decided not to be mandalorian before any of this happened um and when the canon was rewritten um and so it could be that uh, Favreau was like like the original story, and so he's tipping the hat in that sense. Because there's there's some things that are just it's really reminiscent, um, I, I guess in my mind, or at least uh, the arcs are line up in some of the ways. So I'd be curious to where, see where they go with it in five seasons. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, I'm sure we will have the reveal of who the mysterious booted figure was at some point. It could have been it could have been Moff. Uh, could have been Gideon, Gideon I mean, maybe. I mean, I don't yeah. remember Gideon having spurs. You hear him walking, you see him walking. But why would Gideon right. care? Like, it's it's really weird. Um, right. But anyway, so now we get to episode six called The Prisoner. And other than some cool fight scenes, there's not a whole lot to really talk about in this episode. Mando hooks up with his old crew um, or an old crew that he ran with at one time to 
they need a job done and apparently they need Mando's expertise and they need a ship because it's not on any registries. Um, you know, we have some great uh, guest stars in the show. We have Bill Burr uh, playing kind of the lead of the crew that Mando's joining. We have uh, the incomparable Clancy Brown playing the, uh, the I think it's a Rodian. No, a Deveronian. He's a Deveronian. Um, kind of the muscle. And then yeah, there's a twi- a Twi'lek that apparently Mando has a history with and and another droid bounty hunter. And so they go off to pull off a rescue mission on uh, on a New Republic prison ship. And, you know, they board the ship. You see a cool fight scene between the Mandalorian and the bounty hunters and some security droids. You got to remember the landing, though. The landing was with the droid landing. Oh, yeah. The landing is cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, just goes crazy nuts and precision landing at high speeds and like a droid computer would be able to do versus uh, a human. and <laughs> Nails the landing, but throws everybody around. Right, because he gave them no warning. They also discover Baby Yoda on the ship while they're coming in for the landing or right before they come in for the landing. Um. You see a lot of shit talking going on between them, which is probably, you know, I mean, it is what it is. Um, none of them seem to have respect for the Mandalorian, even though apparently, you know, the guy that runs the station has, has nothing but good to say about him. His repu- He seems to have a solid reputation. He seems to have a ferocious reputation, but they all shit talk him. I mean, even the, the Twi'lek who apparently had worked with him in the past, you know, didn't really have a whole lot of uh, stuff to say about him. Uh, yeah. So anyway, you see conflict brewing between, between this crew going in to pull this job. Yeah. And, uh, shit, of course goes sideways. The, the rebellion representative or the new Republic pilot or controller of the ship or whatever gets killed after, uh, you know, he pulls a blaster and pulls out a, a device that'll apparently signal, uh, help. It is a distress call or whatever. So yeah, what did they call it? Uh, uh, New Republic beacon. Yeah, or, or something along those lines. So uh, they kill him, and then they look and see that it was activated, and so now they're on uh, time crunch. They go running to the to the cell, pull the guy out. Turns out to be the brother of the the Twi'lek lady, and then oh betrayal! Mando gets thrown into the cell, and they say he deserved it for whatever reason. Uh, you know, they start going, making their way back to, to the ship, trying to dodge the security patrols. Mando, uh, lassos, uh, or grapples or whatever you want to call it. He zaps a security guard with his little, his little tether line or whatever, pulls him in, uh, rips its arm off, shoots the thing in the head with its own gun, then uses the arm to unlock his cell from the inside goes to the control room and starts wreaking havoc on their escape attempt, sealing doors, dimming lights. And then one by one, you see the, you see the crew coming after him and encountering him and him overcoming all of them. Uh, cool fight scene, especially with, uh, with Clancy Brown's character. Uh, right. That whole pole being pulled through the roof or the ceiling. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Thing. And then the whole, yeah. uh, the doors getting slammed on him. 
Because apparently, oh yeah, yeah, that was kind of cool. My favorite though is when I think it was when he was creeping up on Bill Burr, like the lights kept going in and out, and then like you'd see the Mandalorian down the hall, and then the lights would go out, and then you'd see him closer when they came back on, kind of like a real predator type feeling. Uh, cool little fisticuff scene between him and the Twi'lek lady, um, and then you see him encounter her brother, and he's like, "Hey, look." I don't know or care what you did to them, but you can still take me in. Uh, and so Mando agrees, and he hops back on the ship, kills the droid who has been trying to hunt down Baby Yoda. And you see Baby Yoda trying to was like trying to use the Force, and then you see the robot explode. And then they go back to the space station. Uh, <laughs> old man running the space station's like, "What happened?" And he's like, "No questions asked, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, okay." So he's happy to see the Twi'lek bro, and then Mando takes off, and then he orders a ship to take off, which is actually, it's the same ship that was, uh, that General Grievous flew. So that was a cool little nod. Same type of ship. Mm -hmm. But then you hear a little noise, a little beeping noise, and Mando has planted that Republic beacon on the Twi'lek. And then you see three X-Wing fighters drop out of hyperspace. And they proceed to destroy the fuck out of the station. They shoot down the fighter before it can destroy Mando's ship. And that's the end of the episode. Um, no. Little little scene after it all. You find out that he didn't kill anyone. Oh, yeah. He just locked them all in the same cell together on the Republic ship. So justice will be served. <laughs> Whenever that ship gets where it's going, assuming it can get where it's going. Although, why it's not traveling in hyperspace is a whole nother curious question as well. I mean, like, is it literally crossing star systems just on its basic engines? Like, Just like a prison ship? Literally, the prison itself is the ship, and it's just like it's just cruising? Just floating around space forever? Yeah. I don't <laughs> know. It's kind of odd. but yeah, uh, I was, I'm with you there with you there and one of those things that didn't quite make sense but you know uh does your i will say that was at least your your it was a better story overall than than the gunslinger yeah I mean. and i mean i think the guest stars that were in the show kind of helped make it better i mean we got a we got a gungan impersonation <laughs> you know bill burr started <laughs> are you so whatever you know you a gungan under there you know so Whatevs. Right. But then... So, it was good. So then we get into... Let's ramp up to the big finale for the season. Episodes 7 and 8. So we see episode 7. Uh, which is titled... The, the Reckoning. Reckoning. So they're on the Mandalorian ship... You get a communication from Grief Karga proposing a meeting and, hey, we can work this out. All you got to do is bring in the kid. So Mando goes, all right, I guess, whatever. So he goes, but I'm going to round up some help. So he goes and get picks up Cara Dune, tells her what's up. She goes, you know, it's a trap. He goes, probably, but you want in? She goes, yeah, you had me at killing Imperials. So <laughs> she, she saddles <laughs> up with him and then they go to uh they go to get quill and quill you know they go to his house he invites him in and then all of a sudden you see ig11 come strolling in carrying a tray and mando freaks out and pulls his gun and and quill stops him and says i've reprogrammed him and mando doesn't buy it 
for the beginning, but Quill kind of talks him down. And then you see the scenes of him repairing IG-11 and reprogramming and rehabilitating him and training him. Um, what did he – I – I what did he call it? I re oh I'm gonna have to reconditioned maybe or yeah repurposed repurposed yeah so he repurposed him to be a a caretaker um and then he also when he decides to go along says well I can also reprogram him for nanny functions and so he basically makes the droid the protector of the child. <coughs> And you see them load up on the ship. Uh, they go flying back to Navarro. We get a scene of Kara and the Mandalorian arm wrestling, to which Baby Yoda has a pretty nasty reaction. Starts to force choke Kara Dune. And we talked a little bit about that in one of the previous shows because it's like it's it's supposedly, I mean, intent. You know, it comes down to intent. Is he is the intent to protect? Is the intent to? But the raw emotion itself is. I mean, there's so much about the force, but that's one of the. I'd like to me, I love that 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 scene because it leaves you with a lot of questions about exactly what what is Baby Yoda capable of? Because we've only ever seen his species as Jedi and light side, but they obviously, I mean are proficient with both sides. Um, as we saw with Yoda and the force lightning, uh, and his ability to control it or whatever, right? Yeah. Absorb it and reflect it. Yoda definitely had some experience with force lightning, but baby Yoda, he looked pissed. His, did you notice his ears were back and his face was all scrunched? He looked mad. Like you're hurting my daddy. Basically it's kind of what it was. And I'm going to choke you bitch, but he gets stopped. And, uh, Quill kind of is like, I've heard about people who can do stuff like this, which is not the the last time we'll hear a statement like that. Um, they go to Navarro. And they, then they have that conversation about not knowing what the hell the force <coughs> is. Again, yeah. Well, we've had that conversation before. It's a, it's yeah. a real curious conversation. So we get to <laughs> Navarro. They link up with, with Grief Karga and the men that he's chosen to come along. Uh, they decide to uh to go along with it and he's like i don't want her coming along she's got republic dropship commando tattoos and whatever and she she's like all right so they hide him by guns that tiring shit just around her arm in the one place i was like but that's not gonna draw attention to just her arm and being like yeah up there (laughs) um so yeah so then they go they go riding off into town uh, they get attacked by some some flying thingies. Uh, they kill one or two of the bounty hunters with grief, and they wound grief, and apparently their claws are poisoned, and we see grief is suffering, and they can't really do anything for him. But then we have Baby Yoda coming along, and now we really get to see him use the Force, and he uses the Force to, to heal grief. I know. He, he completely heals everything like takes the poison out but it's like there's not even a scar left and on top of that we talked about this earlier it's like one of the first not one of the first times but one of the few times we've seen the force used to actually heal somebody like completely fully 
Well, yeah, and then now, of course, because of this scene, we have the context going all the way back to episode two where we saw Baby Yoda reaching out for the Mandalorian. And, you know, Mando was like, get back in your crib, you know, or oh, whatever, yeah. your floating space crib. And then we now know that Baby Yoda was trying to heal him. So, yeah, I mean, it's awesome. It's a I like that they visually just show the wound just completely closing and everything being healed. Um, I like that they've know, expanded been... what you can do with the Force. Well, yeah, I mean, in video games, we've always had uh, certain Force healing abilities, but, you know, it's just like nine, plus 98 hit points or whatever. Uh, and then in the EU, there was a uh, there was a Jedi, a Mon Calamari Jedi. I think she was actually Admiral Akbar's cousin, and I believe her name was Sig Hall. Who her her big talent in the Force was the ability to heal, and she actually used the Force over a very long period of time to heal uh, Mon Mothma, who had been poisoned. And she literally used the Force to pull every poison molecule out of her body. Wow. See, yeah, pretty slick. That's the part that I love. I like that they're expanding what the force can be used for, what you can do for it from the good from the from the light side to the dark side. Um it's it's a nice aspect that they're adding to the entire universe. Well, yeah. I mean, and they also you look at all the powers that the dark side gets to play with on screen. You hardly ever see the Jedi get to do anything more than force shoving or lifting something heavy. So it's nice to see their bag of tricks being kind of brought to life a little bit more because the Jedi are certainly capable of much more than lifting rocks. Or jumping really high or anything or jumping, like yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I hadn't yeah. even thought about that. But yeah, it, it really is nice to see that their bag of tricks goes beyond just, hey, look, we can, you know, look at our lightsaber forms to um push pull whatever and now you get to see a more broad spectrum from healing i like that they talk about the academy and the different levels and like the agricultural um portion of it uh, like force sensitive and force wielders that maybe weren't good enough to become jedi so anyway but that's that's Jedi and that's the Force and that's not the Mandalorian. We were talking about the Mandalorian. Yes, we are talking about the Mandalorian. So, um, so yeah. So they spend the night after that attack, and then the next day they uh, what they move to the edge of town, and at that point, uh, Grief Karga reveals his true plan, which apparently he made after Baby Yoda healed him, and he guns down all the other bounty hunters he brought with him. And then proposes that they pull the old switcheroo on their Imperial client in Navarro. And is that's where the episode pretty much... That's where it... Is that where it ends, right? No, 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 no. That's no. not where it ends. No, so I always they, they I agree. get all mixed up where the actual uh, episodes stop and they begin. I watched it all like so... I don't want to say binge, but have watched it in such a binge um, at when it comes out, like episode couple here, couple there, that it's like I just can't ever remember. Well, luckily for everybody, I've rewatched the whole series multiple times. And then like if I'm sitting down to eat dinner or I have a snack or whatever and I want to watch something, I'll, I'll typically hit play on an episode of The Mandalorian. 
It's a good um, golf. Just because it's right there and just because it's an easy, wonderful, great watch. Um, so, yeah, no. So they agree to the plan. And Mando decides to send Baby Yoda back to the Razor Crest with Quill. And then they're going to pretend that Grief captures Mando. And they're going to take Mando, Kara, and the uh, and the empty force floating baby crib thingy to the meeting with the client. Um, he says there should only be a couple of stormtroopers. It should be no problem. We should be able to kill him and shoot our way free. And it shouldn't be a thing. That's and then right. this can be over and we can all go on with our lives. I remember. Yeah. So they, they go to the meeting. Meanwhile, Quill's writing his lizard horse humpback dealio back to the Razor Crest. Uh, turns out there's more than four stormtroopers, which Kara kind of comments on a little bit. There's more than four. And he's like, uh, what do you want me to do? Uh, so, you know, Warner Herzog's character offers some drinks and is like, I'm glad that we're able to conclude this business. Uh, can I see the child? And grief's kind of stalling. And then he gets a whisper in his ear from a stormtrooper and we heard a little electronic noise in the background and he said excuse me i have to take this call so while he gets up to take the call uh grief kind of takes mando's handcuffs off and hands him a uh, a blaster and you can see that they're getting ready to execute their plan and warner herzog's character is talking to somebody that we don't know who it is yet and then the bar erupts in just a hail of blaster fire and just indiscriminately mows down everything. Can I actually say something that I was thinking about while I was watching this the second time? No. Fine. I won't. <laughs> no. no go ahead. But get this, right? He gets a phone call, which means ensures he stands up, which ensures he's going to get hit. Well, I mean, it doesn't ensure that he's going to get hit, but it, it definitely increases the odds. Yeah. And, well, and then all of everybody else was sitting, so he's either, obviously he's Force-sensitive because that or he has some kind of other way of surveillance to tell who's alive after all, afterwards. But it's like, it, I felt like after the second time I saw that, it was intentional that he was trying to kill everybody in there with the belief he wasn't going to probably get the good guys at the same time, hopefully right. one or two. Yeah, no, I can totally see that because he also knew who was in the bar. So he probably had some sort of video slash audio surveillance up in there. Had to have anyway. And, but, and by, and we're obviously referring to Moff Gideon because we see after the smoke clears, we see stormtroopers flooding into the into the little square outside of the bar. We see the troop transport that we've brought up multiple times come rolling up and offload more stormtroopers. And then we see a TIE fighter come flying in. And then we see the TIE fighter land and the wings fold in a really cool way so it can touch down right in the middle of the formation. And Moth Gideon gets out. Of course, we don't know it's Moth Gideon. But he gets out and starts talking. Uh, Moff Gideon's played by, and I might be butchering the first name's pronunciation, please forgive me if I am, by Giancarlo Esposito, I believe is the actor's name. Uh, um, I Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. familiar, but 
I... uh, he was on Breaking Bad, and he's been in a bunch of things. He's a wonderful actor. Um, so he launches into his... I mean, I hate to say stereotypical evil guy speech, but it's a pretty much a stereotypical e- evil guy speech. Um, it was like, hey, yeah, two know, formula. I, <laughs> yeah, two formula. I know who you all are, which is how we learn everybody's names, mostly. Is we've never heard the Mandalorian's real name until his speech. We don't know Carl Weathers' character's name until this speech. Uh, and I'm pretty sure this is where we first hear Kara's full name, if not the first time we just flat out hear her name. Um, so, but he wants to negotiate for one reason or another instead of just killing them and taking it, which is a little odd to me, but um, wants to negotiate, wants to work something out. And then we, uh, you know, we get a little talky talky back and forth. Well, now the negotiation, did you think that was a little bit weird? Because at the same time, you have the Mandalorian who's trying to reach Quill. And it's like, it's going bad. And he's like, Quill, Quill, are you there? And the entire time he's going on with the speech. And then at some point, they got Quill. And you know Moff Gideon got the news. Well, yeah, so, no, well, at one point you see, like, a hand signal or whatever, because it flashes to the two stormtroopers outside of the city on their speeder bikes, and they go zipping off. So, I mean, there had to have been some something maybe where he was waiting for confirmation to see if the child was in the cantina or not. I don't know, but somehow... Because, they, I mean, it's not... They don't hold your hand and give you exposition on absolutely everything. They just don't tell you. But somehow it's figured out that Baby Yoda isn't in the bar. Scout troopers go out to retrieve him. And uh, meanwhile, you know, Mando says, that's Moff Gideon. And he knows this because Moff Gideon, who's supposed to have been executed, uh, he said, well, Moff Gideon commanded the, the attack on... Mandalore and he must have raided the archives because there's no other way he could have known who I was no one's known that name since I took the creed so yeah I mean and then we find out at the very very end of the last episode a little bit more but um uh at this point in time also he don't they send in um, no, that's the next episode because that's that's that is the next that's, episode. That's yes. the next episode. But it's basically this episode ends with Moth Gideon is like you have till sunfall to consider my proposal, and Mando is yelling into his comm link for Quill, and then it goes to it goes to Quill, and you see that he's down, mm-hmm. he's dead, um, which sucks, and that the scout, which sucks because he was a great character. Uh, but it is Star Wars and people die in war. Uh, but then you see the scout trooper do the lean over while he's driving and scoop Baby Yoda up. And that is where this episode ends. Yeah. And then what a moment. We, yeah. What a, I mean, oh, shit. considering and Quill and... at the time. Yeah. I mean, and at the time we were still waiting week to week for the episodes. So, I mean, that was a heck of a cliffhanger, a heck of a way to end the episode, because pretty much every episode has ended on a fairly positive note up until that point. 
Um, I think you realize just how grave the situation is, really. I mean, it really adds to that whole feeling of dire situation, dire straits, like, oh, shit, the it's hit the fan. Yeah, I mean, and I'm resisting the urge to make a Sultan's a swing joke after you said dire straits, but <laughs> we're going we're gonna to move on. We're going to move on. All right. (laughs) I love Mark Knopfler, though. I'm just going to go on the fucking record and say right now, Mark Knopfler, I think, is an underrated musician. Anyways, uh, season finale, chapter eight. Redemption is the title of the episode. Uh, I think it's the longest episode of the season at 48 minutes. Let me confirm. Confirmed. Longest episode of the season at 48 minutes. And man, did they pack a lot of great story into 48 minutes so worth it this is like this is there's so many yeah good things that came from this except did we did we we've mentioned it mentioned it multiple times this is is this the e-web episode or was that the last one this is the e-web episode i thought so okay that's another reason why it's one of my favorites (laughs) yeah episode seven is the troop transport episode yeah which is, by the way, they're re-releasing that toy with the Mandalorian logo and Mandalorian figures and stuff like that. Oh, um, cool. I might pick it up. I might pick it up. It looks really cool. Um, and then, I mean, on a side note, New York Toy Fair is going on right now. And they released a bunch of Mandalorian merchandise for previews. So there's all sorts of Baby Yoda stuff coming and all sorts of other stuff coming. But anyway, back to back to the show um episode starts off with the scout troopers right yeah with the scout troopers and the whole back and forth uh can't shoot any you know they they're just shooting the shit and can't shoot anything and then ig 11 right well i mean and you know let me see the kid oh why do you want to look at it oh because you you it's not fair you got to see it i didn't get to see it and we see a stormtrooper get bit, and we see them punch Baby Yoda multiple times, and which was actually, a controversy. I think it's after it was a controversy. Although I have to say, I chuckled a little bit at the squeaking noise that Baby Yoda made after it was punched. Um, uh, like a but dog yeah, toy, I think it's yeah. after. Yeah, I think it's after the last punch that IG eighty eight, or I'm sorry, IG eleven comes walking up. IG eighty eight's the assassin droid in Empire Strikes Back. Um. But yeah, IG Eleven comes strolling up with his, with his warning, saying, "Hey, you know, don't harm the child." And they said, "Who are you?" I think he said, "Basically, I'm the I'm I'm the, the nanny. nanny, I'm the nanny." And they're like, "Okay, well, we're sorry. This rope, this baby is in our custody." And he goes, "So am I to take that as you're not relinquishing the child?" And they're like, "Nope." And then he kills the living fuck out of him. <laughs> no discredit no yeah he just murdered dude that was one of the I, best scenes. I love grabs that. one dude by the face and like <laughs> lifts him into the air and twists and snaps and throws i mean yeah he kills the shit out of him so <laughs> apparently quill programmed him to protect the child at all costs his programming was, was intact but he was completely yes. repurposed that was there was no question there oh yeah that was awesome and then we see them climb on the speeder bike together and we get one of the one of the honestly greater action scenes in the history of Star Wars 
It was perfect. With IG-11 riding through the city, blasting anything in white armor, and while Baby Yoda is grinning like a madman from the pack hanging on his chest. Ear to ear, uh, dude. It was like, it was oh, yeah. the best his moment. Grin was, his grin was great. Oh, my God. And then we hop into the bar where we see uh, Kara, Jin, and Grief kind of chit-chatting about the whole situation, uh, how it seems kind of hopeless, and they start looking for... Uh, for an escape and they scan for a sewer grate i think he said let me there's a there's a mandalorian conclave in the sewers if i can get a sewer access they'll protect us so he does the scan he finds a sewer grate and they go to try to work on it uh mando doesn't have any explosives so they're trying to pry it and then they try to shoot it and then after Kara unloads with her fully automatic uh weapon uh we hear Moff Gideon speak up and I can tell from your panic and whatever and blah 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 and then that's when he starts my men have just finished setting up an e-web and you know if Kara can tell you how deadly that weapon is or maybe you Jin Darn can talk about what kind of damage this weapon's predecessor did when mounted on gunships in the night of a thousand tears I think is what he called it I probably should have rewatched every episode or at least wrote stuff down but we're new to this podcasting thing go with it just for now uh so i think it is at this moment after his little threats about raising the bar to the ground with the e-web that ig11 comes screaming in like the calvary badass that he is didn't gideon at that point in time says it's set up and he gives him the time and then he leaves because Gideon wasn't there when IG Eleven comes riding in. Right, right, yeah, no, he did, he did, he did leave. I can't remember if he gave them the time or not, uh, but yeah, he walks away or flies away, maybe even. I I can't remember. I don't remember either. I just know he wasn't yeah. there. I mean, I'm definitely most of the story beats are locked into my head, but something uh, the detail like that, yeah, he wasn't there when IG Eleven came into the square. Um, but he comes into the square and starts blasting everybody. They all rush out to help him and, and to help secure the child. Uh, Mando hops on the E-Web at one point, starts murking people with that. IG-11 is taking some hits and some down, and, and, and he goes down. And I think Kara scoops up Baby Yoda at this point, and Grief is covering with his dual-wielding blasters, pew, 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 pew. And then Gideon reappears. And, uh, you know, Mando's still wrecking havoc and kind of giving covering fire while everybody else is moving back to the bar. And you see Gideon pull his blaster. And I think he shoots Mando once, but then it doesn't do anything because of the Beskar. And then he aims at the power supply for the E-Web, which detonates spectacularly upon impact, uh, critically wounding Mando. They pull, they they rush with cover fire and pull Mando into the bar where uh, we learn that he's in pretty rough shape. And they put IG-11 to work removing the sewer grates. And then meanwhile, Moff Gideon gives the order to burn them out. And then we see a stormtrooper that, correct me if you disagree with me or counter me, 
I think one of the most badass looking sets of stormtrooper armor I've ever seen, right? Yeah, dude, that was he was badass that flamethrower guy, which is yeah. here's hold on, here's an interesting point though. When he thought he had baby Yoda, he was like, "Let's negotiate." When baby Yoda is now inside the bar, he's like, "Burn him the fuck out." Well, maybe he didn't quite realize that Baby Yoda was in the bar. Maybe he just thought IG Eleven had come in for the for the rescue. Maybe he if didn't he's force know sensitive, for sure. I'm sure he had to have known because Baby if, Yoda if Gideon, used the force to stop the flame at that point. Well, yeah, yeah, but that was after the fact. That's that was true. after the order was given. I mean, so you think Gideon's force sensitive? I don't know. I'm wondering only because of the dark saber, but you know, it could be yeah, just a yeah. whole Mandalorian thing and he knows he he can use it, but we've also heard the whole line that you need the force to be able to keep from killing yourself with a lightsaber. Yeah, but that's an EU thing. That's never is been it? said in the movies. That is an EU thing. Where did we pick that one up then? It's from the EU, dude. It's from the Expanded Universe. It's always been said in the Expanded Universe that you needed to be a Force user to be able to use a lightsaber. Yeah, but I felt like we... I I always felt like I understood that, and I don't know what taught me that idea, I guess. Probably me. Probably me te teaching you that, because I've always disagreed with non-Force users uh, being able to effectively wield lightsabers. Like... Like in The Force Awakens, Finn should have been killed instantly. But they reveal he's Force-sensitive. But he's not trained. He didn't know he was Force-sensitive. but And and even Force-sensitive and even untrained. Rey was never trained and she fucking took on Kylo. Well, yeah, but that's my point. Is That's part of the problem I have with that movie is that these untrained people, Force-sensitive or not, should still have been slaughtered in less than a second by Kylo. Truth. That's that's just my point. That's Truth. That's just how I feel knowing what I know about Star Wars and the Force is that these two people, Force-sensitive or not, are untrained Agreed. at the time and should have been basically slaughtered because Kylo should have been able to move faster than they could have possibly seen using the force and just cut them down because they wouldn't know how to counter that. But you don't write movies for realism per se. You write them for entertainment. And so what was more entertaining than watching Ray pull that lightsaber away from Kylo and then fighting to defend the fallen Finn? And how cool was it that Finn picked up the light or how, who carried the lightsaber through the whole movie basically pulled it out to defend the fallen ray and you know managed to wound kylo it was cool it was good filmmaking it wasn't great star wars but anyway the storytelling aspect of it um it's good story it's good story it's fine it, but it's just me as a star wars mega nerd anal mega nerd i'll throw the anal in there about stuff like that it that irked me a little bit i agree and i'm not i'm not anal i just I really like a good story and if you're going to if you're going to have a point or going to do something like that have a reason for doing it um that progresses the story otherwise it's just it's just fluff and those kind of moments don't need fluff they they need compelling storytelling um that's my opinion that's my anal that's that's my tight sphincter
I think that's all very valid. Very valid. Very, very valid. Okay. Anyway, back to so, Mandalorian, which does not have a problem with storytelling. It, that is definitely does not have a problem with storytelling. So we see IG-11 successfully get the great rescued or rescued, pff, removed. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, while this is going down, the flame trooper is getting closer and closer and closer. And he keeps randomly spewing flame through into the bar. Then we see him go through the door and unleash the torrent of flame, basically point blank range at, uh, at our heroes. But then we see baby Yoda step up front and center and extend his hands and use the force to, uh, use the force to catch the fire and hold the fire back and then send the fire back at the, the flame trooper. Yeah. You can't even say force shield dude, because that was, Again, another display of what the Force is capable of. He didn't just block the flame. He actually held it and then, yeah, launched it back. Yeah, absorb and redirect, kind of like what Yoda did with the Force lightning Mm -hmm. a little bit, maybe. Ooh, good call. I mean, you know, there's definitely a parallel to be made. Um, So Flame Trooper gets blown up. Uh, IG-11 goes to kind of kind of tend to uh, to the Mando to our buddy Mando and Mando is refusing to let them take his helmet off because of the creed uh, and so I think Grief says one of the funnier lines something about hey baby use the magic hand <laughs> or <laughs> something right. to that effect and uh even though they should know what the fuck the force is even though they should know what the fuck the force is but we see ig11 kind of hands baby yoda to kara and tells them to flee with him and keep him safe protect him with your life um jin darren mando whatever you want to call him gives his mandalorian emblem necklace to kara and says present this find the conclave present this they'll protect you and they don't want to leave him. They don't want to leave him. And IG-11 says, I'll stay with him. And so they go they go running off. And it's just IG-11 and Mando in the bar. Uh, IG-11 goes, I need to remove your helmet to, to treat your wounds. And Mando points his blaster at him and says, you can't take this helmet off. Um, you should just kill me. I would rather it be you than them. And you know, he's like, no, I can heal you. I just need to take your helmet off. And Mando's like, no living thing has seen me without my helmet on since I put it on. And IG-11 goes, I'm not a living thing. And Jin concedes and pulls the helmet off. And uh, for any of you Game of Thrones fans out there, you get to see the uncrushed face of Oberyn Martell. (laughs) Because that's who he played in Game of Thrones. Uh, Pedro Pascal uh, for... I think he was only on for like six or seven episodes, but was one an, an amazing character and had one of the better fight scenes ever in the history of Game of Thrones, which ended with his head literally being pulped uh, by the mountain. Uh, but yeah, so he injects him with Bacta or sprays him down with Bacta and and uh, then you don't see it, but he apparently puts the helmet back on, scoops him up and they go through the sewer grate and soon catch up with the rest of our heroes. Interesting part too. 
because what a progression that you've seen in Jin to be like, hey, he went from absolutely hating droids at the beginning. I mean, no droids working on my ship, no droids driving my the speeder, to he lets IG-11 take off his helmet and treat his injuries. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was a nice little progression and... Uh, well, I think IG-11 protecting the baby and avenging Quill kind of maybe made him change his mind. Although, you know what we didn't talk about? Mm. Speaking of droids, we got to see the full the full scene. We had seen flashbacks of it over the course oh, of the yeah. show. But where we get to see the Mandalorian Death Watch rescuing Jin during the Clone Wars. Which was yeah, really kind of cool it's back to when see. He's, yeah, he's explaining... I think it was when he was explaining how Gideon would know him and about the creed and how he was rescued by them, that he wasn't a Mandalorian, but that he was rescued as a, as an orphan and, and they trained him as one of their own. And then I think that's when we see the flashback and then we, uh, we see the, the badass death watch just kicking, kicking separatist droid army, but which looks so much like everybody's still making the, uh, Boba, connection um wanting him to be alive but it's like can't now because boba and Django are like actually despised by the mandalorians they're not considered mandalorians they're just bounty hunters who have stolen the armor yes so yes for all those boba fans out there don't just just forget it it's done. That's done. If you see him, it's because he's there in the capacity of a bounty hunter and he's working with the guild. It's not a Mandalorian capacity. Well, there you have it. Uh, so anyway, so they regroup in the sewers. They go running for the conclave. They're a little bit lost. Twisty, turny tunnels. Uh, I think Jin uses something in his helmet to track footsteps or whatever, maybe, possibly. He does something, I can't remember. And they um, they get to the conclave in the big old pile. Yeah, there's a massive pile of Mandalorian armor, because apparently after they helped Jin escape with the child in episode three, uh, there was retaliation. It is unknown how many... <sighs> how many of them survived or escaped but it doesn't look like very many of them and uh we see the armorer in her badass gold plated armor with her fur cloak and whatever uh is salvaging all the best car because it's obviously it's way too valuable for them to leave behind uh, she says no i will stay until i've salvaged what remains and they're trying to get her to leave and then we get some nice talky talky from her about the child she's this is what you you know broke your vow with the guild to protect and this is what helped you you know with the mud horn and he he tells the story of how the baby did whatever Holy to the mud shit. horn so he could kill it and you know she talks about hearing about sorcerers who had these powers and how it was his duty now as the child as a family to protect the child and act as its father until he can return it to its people who are, she's basically saying the Jedi are this child's people. So find Jedi and hand the child over to the Jedi. Can, and, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Have you ever noticed her helmet? Well, yes, of course. But okay, and it I I only bring it up now because the whole and we'll get into this in ne- the next episode with with news, but the whole stuff that with 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 Darth Maul. Have you noticed her helmet's very quote unquote Maul DeLorean kind of thing? Uh she yes, yeah, she has she does have some some spikes. Although I don't know if I would go full on to say they were Maldalorian spikes, and you'll understand that term if you don't understand that term right now. You'll understand it even more uh, after the next episode. Um, yeah, I don't know if they're full Maldalorian spikes or not. But yes, her helmet does have spikes. She actually, I think she has the coolest armor outfit whatever in this whole series so far it's pretty badass um it's very like almost like you would see somebody in in the skyrim video game with that armor set you know like that's it's that cool um but she declares that they have earned or he's earned his signet and that him and the baby are a clan of two and she makes a mudhorn signet uh Tells him to to resupply his munitions, and then sends them on their way. So they find this river of lava and decide to take a boat uh, to the outskirts of town so they can get to the Razor Crest and get out of there. Uh, so they're going on the boat, and then Mando detects a bunch of stormtroopers outside and says, "We're just going to get murked when we leave this tunnel." Because somehow they know where we are. So IG-11 decides to fulfill his programming. In one, protecting the child. And two, that he is not allowed to be captured. His, his manufacturer's program says he cannot be captured. So he hops off the, the raft. Strolls through the lava to the outside. And detonates the thermal detonator that we've seen. Uh, I think it, well, we saw it a couple of times in the first episode. He kept opening his chest to, to kill himself because he thought that they were going to succeed or not succeed in their mission to get their bounty target. One of the more humorous scenes and a nice introduction to the character and how, yeah, how seriously series, he takes actually. himself. I mean, the, the series didn't. I mean, didn't have much in the way of, of humor forced or not. But yeah, that, that scene of him trying to basically blow himself up because he thought the fight couldn't be won multiple times and Jin kind of begging him not to do it was pretty pretty entertaining stuff. Um, but we see him sacrifice himself for everybody. Um, why he couldn't have just come out of their guns blazing like we've seen him do multiple times and take multiple hits, I don't know. But that's how it went down. Detonator goes. Everybody dies. Uh, or all the stormtroopers die. IG-11, I presume, is permanently destroyed. And then our heroes emerge from the tunnel. And... Is it at this point it flashes back to the armor? Or it at some point it flashes back to the armor. Before we get to the final climax of the show, we'll flash back to the armor. Is sitting in her forge. And 
six, seven, eight, nine, ten stormtroopers come in asking what's going on, where is everybody, where did they go, and we see her kill the living shit out of the stormtroopers using nothing but her forging tools, nothing but her armor's tools, which was pretty cool. So then, after that goes down, we see uh, our heroes are kind of gathered out by the by the lava flow, and then Gideon comes flying in with his Tie Fighter and starts making strafing attacks. One of the last things the armor did for Mando was give him a jetpack and asked if he had been trained in the way of the Phoenix or the Rising Phoenix or something along those lines. So Mando now has a jetpack after saying in the second episode or the third episode, I'm sorry, that he he wanted to get his hands on one of those. He got his hands on one. So then we see him take off and use his grappling hook to latch onto the TIE Fighter. Uh, he plants some explosives. And with the explosives planted, he uh, detonates them. TIE Fighter goes down and the battle is won. The day is saved. Uh, Gideon's dead. Child is safe. Uh, our four remaining heroes are all fine and okay. Mando says, well, hey, you know, I need to get out of here with the kid. We need to find these people. So we're going to leave. Uh, and Car and Grief are going to stay. It sounds like Kara might become a member of the Bounty Hunter Guild. Grief's going to reopen them for business. And uh, so we see them hop on the ship and go off into space. And we assume, okay, season over. But we're wrong. We are wrong because it flashes to the wreckage of the TIE Fighter. And then we see what to me is a familiar weapon. If you've watched the Clone Wars animated series or read some comics, you'll know what this thing is. We see the Dark Saber cut through the hole of the TIE Fighter. And then we see Moff Gideon alive and well emerge from the holy cut scaring off the Jawas who were trying to scavenge the the wreckage. And then we see him standing on the wreckage of his destroyed TIE fighter with the, the dark saber lit up. And that is how we end the season with the reveal that Gideon has the dark saber. Uh, I love the Mandalorian season one. And when Guy gets back, he, uh, he had a technical difficulty on his end, so I'm just kind of wrapping up the episode on my own. Uh, he might patch in some of his thoughts. Uh, but what a great direction for Star Wars, for the franchise, for the fans, for everybody this show has taken. And just one trillion percent credit to Jon Favreau and to all the directors... Bryce Dallas Howard, Taika Waititi, uh, 